I remember correctly, according to Lethal Weapon, it's supposed to always go on three. Oh, always go on one, three. two, and then three. Yeah, go on three, not no. three, then go. Right, exactly. Okay. okay. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to the Mash Files episode No, we didn't do a countdown. Two. We didn't do a countdown. You gotta do a countdown so you know where to edit all that crap out. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I can figure it out. Okay. Attention all personnel. Today's lecture is the Mash Files, presented by Brigadier Brian and General John. For more information, go to www.themashfiles.com. Or send any communications to mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. That is all. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mash Files, episode two, where I will try to keep the pen out of my hand and clicking in the microphone. Uh, you're really good about that last if episode. If you heard last episode, you heard that a lot, and my, my, my podcast buddy here kicked me in the shin and said, I did not! Yeah, he did. I did Still slap you hurts. around a little bit. Yes, yes. I am Seabus Brian, here with... Seabus John. Seabus John. He's trying to take my title. He's the, uh... uh the master of mash, even no. though he hates to admit it. <laughs> Not the master. He's There's... the reluctant master of mash. There are so many things about mash I don't know. I, I, mean, like, is... I like alliteration, but you know. Okay. How many times have you been through the seasons? Or been been through the series? I, I lost count. You lost count? Yeah, I lost count. See, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll just let the audience decide. How are you all doing tonight? We're not going to be able to hear you, but answer us anyway. Hey, 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 watch the language. Okay, so it's episode two, so we're doing season two. Hopefully you've listened to season one, uh, episode one, which is season one. If you didn't, then stop and go listen to it now. We'll wait. <laughs> Time's up. Time's up. So before mm-hmm. we get into season, excuse me, yeah, season two, episode two, in whatever order you want, uh, I do need to issue two corrections from the first episode. Um, first thing is I mistakenly identified... Gary Cooper as playing uh, Wally Beaver in Leave It to Beaver, and that was wrong. It <laughs> Gary, was not Gary, Gar- Gar- Gary, Gary Cooper? Cooper. It was actually Tony Dow. Gary Cooper? That's on me. So Gary Cooper? Did I say Gary Cooper? You said it twice. What did I, what, what's the actor's name? Jackie Cooper. Jackie Cooper. Oh, boy. <laughs> what is the matter with you? This is what I get for drinking a martini. <laughs> is that what that is? Why, why is it red? All right, all right. You got me. It's a Shirley Temple. Oh, okay. <sighs> You need the Jane Weathers chaser. Hush. Um, the other thing also was is that in the last episode, when we talked about the episode called The Moose, I had mistakenly said that this was not the first episode that the producers would choose to tackle the issue of slavery. I actually meant to say that it would not be the last episode because they actually tackled it more than once during the series. So I apologize for those those two screw-ups. I have nothing to apologize for because I don't admit my mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) And or remember them. Okay. So, season two. We start off with uh, September 15th, 1973. The episode one called Divided We Stand. I like this episode. Uh, This is... This is a reintroduction. It's sort of um, the second pilot, if you will, because uh, according to Larry Gelbert, Gelbert. Yeah, uh, they changed uh, time slots for this for this season, 
and put them on after uh, All in the Family. So they said, okay, we're going to sort of do a, a, a soft pilot episode again. So like the whole episode is sort of a, a reintroduction into the MASH family. Uh, we have a psychiatrist who comes down to investigate the outrageous antics of the 4077. Yes. And this episode was directed by Jackie Cooper. Gary Cooper? Yes, Gary Cooper's brother. <laughs> Jackie Cooper actually had a, a rather interesting life. He is the youngest person to be nominated for Best Actor. He was nominated at age nine for a 1931 movie called Skippy. Okay. And he was in Our Gang. Ah, uh, yes, that's rascals. right. Yes, the that's right. Rascals. Yes, he was. <laughs> so uh, this, uh, I have a few notes for this episode. Uh, opening scene, Colonel Blake cheating again, even though his wife in the last season just had his son. How nice of him. Opening is General Clayton telling a shrink to investigate the 4077th. Uh, they go through all the characters' names, so re-mentioning all the characters, reintroducing them to a new audience, perhaps. The shrink, Cap- Captain Hildebrandt, uh, was in an episode of Love American Style in 1972 where he played a Ghostbuster. Really? Yes. They hmm. called him a Ghostbuster. Interesting. He was actually more of an exorcist. He was at, He was also in an episode of Night Court, which I always like to bring up. He played Ralph Kremensky in the episode The Computer Kid. Okay, so we're, again, we're talking about Anthony Holland, who played Captain Hiddlebrand? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, Having yes, watched yes, yes. Night Court all the way through once, I, I have to admit I don't remember <laughs> him very well. I know you, however, have watched oh, him many yes. times. But, yeah. Night Court is my mash to your mash being your mash. Uh, let's see. I have lots of blood shown in this episode. Uh, the, the, the signpost uh, had Coney Island, and it had San Francisco twice. It had Indianapolis twice. It had Tokyo, Burbank, and one obscured that I couldn't see. And... One of my favorite lines from this was, these guys make a gin that could melt, melt your, your dog, dog tags. tags. That's right. And this is Kelly Nakahara's first of 167 episodes as Lieutenant Kelly Yamato, and she was also the cook in the movie Clue. Yeah, and she also had a small role in the first... Dr. Doolittle? Yeah, in the Eddie Murphy version. Um, and interestingly enough, you mentioned... Um, yeah, Kelly Nakahara, um, she initially is called Lieutenant Kelly Yamato, is what I have down here. Mm. So I think at some point they gave up Yamato and went with Nakahara because I'm pretty sure the name Nakahara was actually used in the series as her character name. Mostly, I, I remember them calling her Nurse Kelly. Yeah, Nurse Kelly. But yeah, this episode, yeah, I, I thought it was good. I thought yeah. it was fun. I have um, a few notes here. Um, this would be the last appearance by Linda, I hope I say this wrong, or say this right, My- Michael John. Mm. As Lieutenant Leslie Scorch. Scorch. I believe she was the one who kind of dated uh, Henry in the season, the first season. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Miss, um, mistress number five. Yeah. <laughs> Please take a number. Thank you. Uh, let's see. What else? Um, okay. And you mentioned earlier in the episode, it opens up with uh, General Clayton. He's giving his briefing to Captain Hiddlebrand, and he mentions he mentions Radar. Well, Gary Berghoff's character at the time had not been yet given a first name. Of course, that wouldn't happen for a couple more seasons. Um but it seems odd that the official military personnel record would mention a nickname as opposed to his real name. True. True. Also, there is a scene where Hotlip says that Hawkeye and Trapper try to molest all the nurses in camp, and Trapper responds, except the male ones. 
Well, at the time, there were no male nurses in the U.S. military in the Korean War. In 1955, the U.S. revised the Army-Navy Nurses Act of 1947 to allow for the commissioning of men into military nursing corps. And I caught what may be maybe a blooper. Um, I, I'm guessing it was just a timing thing. Mm-hmm. But when you see the establishing shot of the camp, the 4077, if you look in the background, there is a white, maybe a light blue colored bus that can be seen driving on the road in the background. To me, that bus looks newer than 1950, but maybe not. My guess is mm. that was probably a bus that would care, that would bring in, you know, stuff necessary for, right. you know, the doing... production. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, Take a look at it, audience, and then let us know. You can reach us. You can talk to us. You can tell us how good we are, how bad we are at mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. Episode 2, 5 o'clock Charlie. Now, this is one, one, of, the, one of the episodes of the season that I really liked. Uh, this uh, premiered mm, September 22nd, uh, 1973. Every day for the last six weeks at 5 o'clock, Charlie lets loose one bomb near uh, an ammo dump, which has just, you know, appeared for some reason, uh, near the camp. And it, it's happened at a regular basis, and he always misses. So the, the camp has gotten together. You know, they're all starved for uh, entertainment of any kind. And they start placing bets on how close 5 o'clock Charlie will get to the ammo dump with his little bomb, because he has yet to hit it. Okay. Uh, this was directed by Norman Tukar. It's his only MASH episode. He did direct 93 episodes of Leave It to Beaver. This episode, so Colonel Blake wins the the, the, the first betting round that we see in the episode with 75 and a half yards from the target. 22 and three quarters was the next closest, but earlier in the episode, Hawkeye bet on 62 yards. So shouldn't have he won? Oh, details, continuity, details. Continuity arrow. As soon as I heard those numbers fly, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hawkeye's was, his bet was closer. Um, except for the last bit, there's a there's a scene in this where there's the dentist that is mm-hmm. never seen again. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if he has a name. He does. Um, he is seen playing the guitar. Now, as a guitar mm-hmm. player, whenever I see a guitar in a movie or a show, it makes me cringe. This was a cringe of a different nature. Because usually people who are playing guitar in a show or, or a movie or something, they don't really know, and they're just kind of faking it. But this guy, he really knew how to play guitar. He was really playing it, but the soundtrack that was playing over top of it, except for the very last bit that he, that he does his little twang thing at the end to punch his punchline, everything else, the soundtrack is not matched up with what he's playing, and it just drove me crazy. It's like, come on, he's really playing. Just use let, that. Yeah, let him play. Come on. Yeah, yeah you mentioned the actor Corey Fisher. Um, he played Captain Phil Cardozo. Cardozo. Yes. Okay. You may remember they were, in, like you mentioned in the scene where they were sitting there talking, and they were, you know, he said, Cardozo, booze? He says, nah, I promised my wife I wouldn't have a drink or a woman until I come back. He says, well, that's nice. It's like, give me a blast. Give me a blast. Make it quick. I got a date tonight. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, and he also <laughs> appeared in the MASH movie. Did he? Yes, he played Captain Bandini. Bandini. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. Yep. Another crossover. <laughs> That's right. Um, that movie that we say we'll never mention, and we keep mentioning it, so. What movie? Uh, let's see. My notes and some of my research. Apparently, the airplane that was flown by uh, 5 O'Clock Charlie was a Ryan PT-22. And apparently, the plane was owned by Don Burkett. 
Hidden in the rear seat. It was painted with a North Korean color scheme for the episode. And let's see, 5 O'Clock Charlie marks the first episode of Jeff Maxwell, who would go on to play semi-regular private Igor Straminsky. Igor! That's right. The idea for this episode may have been based on the activity of a real Japanese pilot during World War II who would harass the U.S. Marines on the Guadalcanal. This pilot would fly over marine encampments at night in order to deprive them of much-needed sleep. Sometimes he would drop a bomb, other times he would just fly over them. The Marines nicknamed him Washing Machine Charlie, and like 5 o'clock Charlie, his plane's engine was out of timing. (laughs) Well, that would do it. Yep. A loud plane whizzing by your head when you're trying to fall asleep. I know, that would be a little annoying. That's Um, why I don't live near the airport anymore. And my last note here, as 5 o'clock Charlie flies over, the exchange between Frank, Hot Lips, Trapper, and Hawkeye shows shots showing Hawkeye and Trapper when they're on stage 9, while the other shots were at the ranch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could tell the difference, because the lighting... You can tell the difference between natural lighting and, like, stage lighting. I think I remember the background going from being... It's 3D like, to yeah, being exactly. Flat. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's like, hmm, I wonder why they did that. Exactly. Oh well, maybe they weren't available on 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 site yep. at the time, or maybe they filmed it and they couldn't use it for some reason. Maybe I'm, a plane went over. <laughs> yes, it, yeah. I mean, I think well, they could have redubbed that though. I think or re, what do they call that redubbing, relooping, or something ADR. like that. ADR, yeah, yeah. loop. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Episode three. September 29th, 1973. This is uh, Radar's Report. And yes. my first little note on this, even before I get into it, is Dear Dad number four? Because mm. it's basically the same premise. Yeah. It's Radar writing essentially a letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, Radar reports on the comedies and tragedies in his weekly activity and personnel report of the 4077, yep. while Houlihan and Burns try to get Cap. Uh, Corporal Klinger transferred. Hawkeye falls hard for a nurse, and Trapper loses his patient because of a POW. Yes. I, whenever they reveal the time period within the show, I always make note of that. Radar mentions this is uh, the week of October 17th to the 22nd of 1951. Uh, this episode, also directed by Jackie Cooper, he did do a lot of episodes. Um, you know, Gary's brother. Uh, <laughs> tense moment in the OR when the Chinese uh, prisoner, there's a prisoner who's brought in, and uh, of course he starts to freak out because, you know, he's surrounded by white masked people and doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Uh, he uh, does end up getting a hold of a scalpel. He injures a couple people, and they do a really good job of having him slash but not show any blood. You know, people mm-hmm. fall over and go, ah, and clutch their arm or whatever. Clinger. He says, and I think this is the only, one of the few times where there's actually a laugh track in the OR, because I think when yep. he makes mention of his dress, Klinger's wearing a, wearing a dress, of course, his $39 dress, hey, I'm going to charge you for that, mm-hmm. and then he whips out his gun. Your people will pay for that. Yeah. $39 in 1951 is the equivalent of $455 today. Where does Klinger get his money for his dresses? Maybe that's why he makes so many of his own. Probably. Maybe he sells them. <laughs> well, I mean he he sold them he sold them once. Yeah. He would give them away again, you know. This episode stars Joan Van Ark as Lieutenant Lieutenant Erica Johnson, who's the love interest of one Hawkeye Pierce. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a 
renowned soap opera actress. She played, uh, is this Valine Ewing? Ewing? If only you could see how stupid you sound right now. Ewing. In, in Dallas yes. in 1978, and then she appeared in what I didn't know was a spinoff of Dallas, Knott's Landing. Yep. For 327 episodes from 1979 to 1993, that is a long time to play any one character. Kudos to her. Again, she's the love interest of Hawkeye. He falls just absolutely head over heels for her and gets turned down because he wants to marry her, basically. And she's, he's just moving too fast for her. She's like, hey, slow down, mister. Yeah. Um, Hawkeye calls Trap Dr. Hackenbush. And in another Groucho Marx connection, this is the name of the character that Groucho Marx plays in the Marx Brothers movie, A Day at the Races. Okay. So let's see. What do I have here? This would be the first appearance of Alan Arbus playing psychiatrist Major Milton, later Sidney Freeman. Mm. Friedman, excuse me. I love that character. Yep. Uh, let's see. First and only appearance by Derek Shimatsu as the Chinese prisoner. Okay. In my research, there is the scene where Father Mulcahy tries to calm the patient by repeatedly calling out Bunk Chow, mm-hmm. which he believes means peace and friendship, but according to Radar's report, means the news of your daughter's pregnancy brings us much joy to our village. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, according to this, it says that Bung Chow is actually a Cantonese slang term for the male sexual organ. In the <laughs> Korean language, it's gibberish. Yep. So, yeah, he's basically calling a penis. Yes. <laughs> penis, penis. Yeah. So, no wonder he's got the yeah, knife. No he's wonder like, why he's got the knife. Get back. Yep. Let's see. So, apparently, a patient with AB negative blood can receive a transfusion of any type of rhesus negative blood, i.e., A negative, B negative, AB negative, and O negative, hence the loss of the last name. Or excuse me, the last pint of AB negative is irrelevant apparently. Oh, so if we the have prisoner any prisoner knocks it over. Yeah. So if we have any, uh, if we have any medical experts out there listening, um, feel free to comment. I do not know if how true that is. If that's still true today, or maybe it was back then. I don't know. Well, what's what's the universal blood? That's O. O? I believe. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so. the tense scene with Trapper. He goes into the tent after losing his patient. He goes into the tent where the POW is. And, you know, he's got the menace in his eyes, and he's like, you know, oh, look, you're getting all the juices you need. And mm-hmm. just, you know, and there's slight ominous music. And Hawkeye comes in behind him and says, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. That's, that's this not, is not that's, what we're about. That's not what we're about. The, the scene ends quick. The whole thing with Trapper's patient, the patient doesn't have a name. You never see the patient. You know, we don't know if him, her, the, the, tall, short, nothing. We know nothing about the patient whatsoever, and he loses it. And this is this is a real contradiction to the last time we lost a patient, which was Hawkeye's friend mm-hmm. in season one. Mm-hmm. They really treat this really just flat. Like, you know, we're not going to get into it too much. Hawkeye comes in, he says his two lines, and then Trap's like, yeah, okay, yeah, without speaking, and they just, and then C ends, and that's it. Yeah. And it's like, if this was Picture this episode in, like, season nine or something. That that scene with him, there would have been probably another scene with, with Trapper going, you know, it's not fair. It's, you know, and having a, a blowout about it and then mm-hmm. maybe rushing into the, 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 the guy's tent to, mm-hmm. to mm, whatever. 
and then the talk down would have been so much more like you know we don't do that and then maybe a, even a breakdown from the character like oh god what was i thinking you know but this is just like in out okay don't yeah shut and cl- yeah. open and shut case yeah yeah i you know we talked about moral compass you know with that episode of um sometimes you hear the bullet in the last you know in the last season um and I wonder if there was a little bit of a moral compass heading change with Trapper in that scene. I mean, do I believe he would have actually gone through with it? I don't think so. That was my question. Is like, would he have? Yeah, and I don't I think. I'd, I'd like to think not. Yeah, but I don't think we're given enough information about yeah. the situation. It's like, wait, there's like nothing there. Yeah. And it just kind of surprised me. Um, Maybe a bit of character development there, perhaps. I think there could have been. Yeah. Which is something that's like, eh, you know. Yeah. Um, Klinger gets his Section 8. Yes. He gets it. Mm-hmm. Sydney, well, Milton at this moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> gives it to him. He says, okay, here you go. What's your name, honey? Yeah. Um, but he denies it because he doesn't want to be labeled transvestite and a homosexual on his permanent record. Right. The psychiatrist says, from here on... You go through life on high heels should have Klinger taken the deal. I mean, how much is the government going to be watching him when he gets home? And I, I'm not sure how much of a permanent record is actually around back when permanent record was actually paper. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, they had the the, the episode from, from last season where the guy was a lawyer, a doctor, yeah, uh, a rabbi without an engineer, but he didn't yeah, have the paper without yeah. being any of those things. Yeah. I think I think he should have taken the deal and been like, "Yeah, sure, call me whatever you want." <laughs> okay. Yeah, when I get back to Toledo, I'm getting my mudhead and season ticket. Yeah, season passes, and I'm going. You know, so no. it's like, um, I don't know. I I guess that would require definitely somebody that may have had experience with something like that back then. I don't know if they could have somehow forced him. I guess maybe to live he, his life that way. Like if you're discharged in that way, like a Section 8. Yeah. I mean, even if you go to a job interview and you say, oh, no, I didn't go into the Army. You know, yeah. it's like, you're not going to know. Not back then, no. You, I mean, nowadays, my background check is simple as just paying $20 and going to a website somewhere. True. You know. Right. I mean, you should but, see the things that I found out about you. <laughs> oh, well, hey. You're, you're a good sport. <laughs> uh, no, you, it's interesting you mentioned that because the Section 8 discharge, also known at the time, it was also called a blue discharge. <laughs> As it was, it, because it was apparently it was because it was printed on blue paper. That was discontinued in 1947 before the Korean War, and it was replaced by either a general, medical, or dishonorable discharge, depending on the case. Let's see what else do I have here. Um, while Hawkeye and Trapper are enjoying martinis outside the swamp, Radar comes to let Trapper know that his patient is in danger. Trapper is seen running somewhere, which logically would be the OR which would be located behind the swamp, yet Trapper is running in the opposite direction towards the mess tent. Huh. So I'll look at that again. Yeah. But I, I do remember watching that episode, or watching that scene again, yeah. and the second time that I watched it, I noticed, you know, they're talking about, when they're sitting there drinking, they're talking about, oh, my, my patient's doing better, yay, he's, he's, he's in the clear, and then Radar comes up and says, nope, no, he's not, and then you get this musical sting from, from, uh, like violins, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just, and it sounds so soap opery. Yeah, that that second time that I that I watched it, I was like, "How did I not notice that the first time?" That sounds so cheesy. Yeah. Why? Well, and then you even get the the sort of 
Uh, it wasn't a Dutch tilt shot, but it was a slight overhead shot of Radar and Hawkeye. And, and Radar says something about war or I don't want to be here or something. He said, yeah, he and, says, and, it's like some war we got here. It's like, yeah, I could do without it. Yeah, and it was it was so nonchalant yet so melancholy, and it just it seemed a little forced to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's with these strings? And, and is somebody going to play an organ here in a second? Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I have uh, two more notes here. Um, I'll call the first one here maybe a goof. At the scene where Houlihan has just come to let Trapper know that his patient has died. Okay. Yeah. Well, at that point, he goes over to the door that would lead into the OR, looks in, walks away. Hawkeye comes over, looks in the door at the same, that, you know, looks in the door. And at that time, while he's looking, the lights inside the OR are turned out. Why would you turn the lights out in the OR when the patient's still in there? To me, mm. that just seems wrong. Yeah. I mean, I understand it's sort of a way of saying, okay, we can't do anything else for this patient. He's gone, but it just seems that he's staring at, looking through the window to the door, looking at the patient, seeing that he's dead, and then they turn the lights out in the OR. That makes me wonder, what do they do with the patients they've lost? Yeah. Is there... I don't want to go there. It never... I mean, obviously, they're taken somewhere else eventually. Yeah. But where do they store them in the meantime? (laughs) My guess is Graves' registration would take care of that because that, they kind of address that in in season four mm-hmm. when apparently some clerical mistake leads to supposedly Hawkeye being dead. Oh, but yeah, they yeah. mention Graves' registration a couple of times during the, season, the series, so I'm guessing that they would have to prepare the body, they would put it in some sort of something and be transported back to the States for a proper right. processing and burial or something, I'm guessing. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting like a mash unit probably wouldn't have like mortuary set up. Like they wouldn't have embalming fluid or anything like that. They'd probably, uh, yeah, I wouldn't but think so. But they also so. they also wouldn't probably have like a, a refrigerated section for yeah, you know, that, a that's, good, that's a good of question. Some sort. It's like, oh, where did these bodies go? Yeah, I mean, uh, and I mean, I remember mentioning in the last episode that we recorded that you know I've seen actual photos of real mash of a real mash that was available at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, these compounds were massive. I mean, mm. so. What we see, what we're used to in television, yeah. compared to, I, I can see one photo in my head right now, and I mean, this thing was like acres. Yeah, more like than huge one OR. Building upon building upon building. And, and they I mean, were mobile still? Sure. <laughs> you know, they, well, they were sitting on pontoons, you know, they want to make them amphibious, uh, yes. you know. Yes. So, anyway, um, <laughs> but no, they were just, the one photo I saw it was just massive. So it's like, maybe they did, maybe they had... You know, areas to me, it's you know, it seems like the right thing to do. But you know, considering that you know they call it meatball surgery, it's like, mm-hmm. well, do you have time? Are you able to commit resources to preparing a body, doing the embalming, all that kind right, of right, stuff? Right. I have no idea. That's hmm. a good, that's a great point, though. We'll have to grab some of those photos and put them on our on our website, themashfiles.com. Yes. Yes. All right. Season or episode four for the good of the outfit, October sixth, nineteen seventy three. Hawkeye and Trapper discover the U.S. has been shelling a nearby village by mistake. Tydon. Tydon, and the U.S. refuses to take responsibility. Yep. Another episode directed by Gary's Gary brother, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a good example of comedy and drama together. Um, first incident of the armor, army being a bully to Hawkeye and Trapper. You yep. know, basically blackmail. Mailing them. Uh, in this episode, they're working on what what seems to be civilians. They're like, what's with all these civilians? And, and they're pulling shrapnel out, and they're going, hey, this looks like our shrapnel. You know, mm-hmm. this looks like stuff U.S. 
uh, would use. This stuff is as American as apple pie. Yeah. Um, so they, they discover that Taidong has been being shelled by U.S. Artillery Unit 348. Uh, many civilians hurt uh, by the mistake bombing, and they want and they have proof, and they take it to the to to whoever does that sort of thing, and they say, "Hey, we've got proof of this happening, and we want you to compensate them and and take responsibility for it." Say, "Whoops, we did it!" And mm-hmm. of course, they get hoodwinked. You know, their their stuff disappears. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Ha- who did you get that to? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that person before. Major Stoner. Yeah, I do have a funny thing here. Uh, PA announcement. Attention all personnel. Due to circumstances beyond our control, lunch will be no, served today. Yes. <laughs> I yep. like this episode. Yeah, the um the another one of my personal favorites. Attention all personnel. The following have have uh, volunteered to go on a ten mile hike. <laughs> so yes. okay, let's see. I have here first and only appearance by Frank A. Letter as Major Stoner, and he went on to guest star in McLean Stevenson's Lieutenant, who played, of course, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake, his uh, show called Hello, Larry. I like this episode. Bit of a softball. You know, I don't think they went as far as they could have, but, yeah. Well, I mean, I think they, you know, they kind of showed, you know, some of the some of the things that could happen, you know, as they mentioned, if you, you know, if you rock the boat. We see Hawkeye's mail being stopped at Division HQ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all this other, and supposedly he's under arrest, you know, so it's like, okay, so you're putting me under arrest because, well, you screwed up and you don't want to take responsibility for it. Yeah. Yeah. So what was interesting though was, is that it seems that even though Hawkeye and Trapper were sort of the driving force of bringing the army to justice, so to speak, but it's really only Hawkeye that seems to be catching the brunt of it. They don't really seem, the army didn't really say anything about Trapper specifically. Hawkeye's mail is being stopped at Division HQ. Right. Hawkeye is under arrest. Well, doesn't you know? Hawkeye writes his dad? He, tr- he tries writing his dad, his dad about is... reaching out because they know like a senator or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's and... got he's got influential friends. Yeah, yeah. So. Definitely, sort of a, an episode that shows us, you know, okay, these guys aren't invulnerable. Uh, they're captains, but they're usually pushing around majors. Mm-hmm. You know, Frank and and Hulahan. Uh, they don't take orders, you know. They usually, not that they walk all over Henry, but Colonel, he's a Colonel, and you know he he rarely gets to order them to do something that they do. Not that they're, not that they're mean spirited or anything, but they usually get away with a lot, so mm-hmm. to speak. And this is this is the first time where they show like, hey, <laughs> you're in the army, pal. You know, you're not. Yeah, you got it good here. Yeah, and you're not you, regular army. You you could find yourself not in this good position. Yeah, you you could find if, yourself in a unit that's somewhere where it's really happening. Yeah, you know, so the eight o double nickel. Yep. Okay, uh, episode five, Doctor Pierce and Mister Hyde, mm-hmm. October thirteenth, nineteen seventy three. After Hawkeye is kept awake for three days in surgery, he decides to find out who started the war. Mm-hmm. Can you guess who directed this episode? Gary's brother again. Yeah. Jackie Cooper directed a lot of episodes. In fact, I think at some point I stopped writing his name down. Okay. Uh, this is the first episode written by Alan Alda for the second season. He wrote it with Robert Klein. I, I started to notice when Alan writes episodes, he throws in little things that are high bar, maybe. Sort of, uh, hey, I'm educated. Let me throw this in there, just to show you how educated I am. Uh, when he's trying to fall asleep, one of the times he's trying to fall asleep, he, he lays down and he says, Morpheus, don't just stand there. I'm yours. 
when you hear the word Morpheus nowadays, you automatically think of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, what the, huh? That's not, what? what is this? So I looked it up. Morpheus is the Greek god of dreams. Hmm. So he's basically saying, hey, come make me dream. Take me away. And it's like, okay, I learned something. Uh, last appearance of General Clayton. Yep. Uh, another decent episode. A little better than his Long John's episode. Yeah, I the think. Long John episode I was I was never a fan of. Yeah. I just, I don't know. A, a little Again, more, it kind of uh, felt like filler. A little more, you know, Hawkeye's trying to find out who started the war. Now, right. it's a serious subject, but he's also basically drunk from that sleep, mm. you know, so it's it's got, the, the comedy twinge is still there. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you mentioned the last uh, appearance of Herb Volland as General Colonel Clayton. Um, interesting. Uh, supposedly, the song that Hawkeye briefly sings uh, was one of Spike Jones, and the song was called Defuter's Face. Defuter's Face. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, and then the camera, I, I, according to my research, it says that the camera that Hawkeye was using to take pictures of the latrine, including Frank, uh, was a Kodak Chevron. It was produced from 1953 to 56. Of course, as such, it would not have been available during the Korean conflict, which ended in 53. Again, they got it from radar. I know. Uh, let's see. First of a couple of appearances by Buck Young. In this episode, he plays chopper pilot O'Brien. And then later in the series, he would return to play an MP in one of the Christmas episodes. Mm. I recognize him. Okay, so when they're trying to knock out Hawkeye, they want to yeah. give him an injection of mm-hmm. sleeping, whatever. They're trying to make him sleep. Yeah. Hawkeye, you got to yep. sleep. At one point, when they pull out the syringe, when you know Frank, when, when Hawkeye's out there trying to take pictures and doing all this stuff, when they accidentally inject Frank with the anesthesia, wouldn't he have felt the needle? Because needles back then are not like the ones they are today. Them bastards hurt. We're also talking <laughs> about a man who didn't wake up when they took blood from him. Well, this is true. In the, while he's sleeping. Well, and that's that's a lot bigger of a needle. Good point. <laughs> okay, so towards the end of the episode, General Clayton, he's in the officer's latrine. So Hawkeye connects a chain to the latrine and starts to tow it with an ambulance. As the latrine is moving away, shouldn't there have been a huge hole in the ground underneath? <laughs> yeah, there should have been. Filled, so. with, filled with lie. Uh, episode 6. I love this episode. Yes. I Sim- really do. Simply entitled... Kim. Yep. Uh, October twentieth, nineteen seventy-three. A wooden, wooden, blah, 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 a Easy wooden boy, a Easy wooden boy, Pinocchio. Say. What an ignoramus! <laughs> a wounded Korean boy captures the heart of Trapper, and let's just say the whole camp. Mm-hmm. And Trapper tries to adopt him. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by William Weard, uh, number five of the six episodes that he directed. Kim is played by Edgar Miller, and it's his only acting credit. The whole camp falls for this kid. This is mm-hmm. a delightful little episode. It it's was. so cute. Mm-hmm. It shows heart from Trapper. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, oh, this, this, I don't want this kid to be alone. Right. You know? It also shows that his wife is very understanding because mm-hmm. he has two daughters at home. I, I think believe so. Becky and something else. Yep. And you know, hey, hun. Yeah. I'm gonna send you a kid. Is that yeah. all right? Yeah. He'll be in a box. He'll yeah. be in a crate in our kitchen utensils. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, go ahead, send me another kid. Yeah. I'm out of your ball by myself, taking yep. care of your two daughters. That's you are right. Fine. Yeah. No. Very understanding, and the, the kid is just adorable. The whole he was. camp just falls in love with him reading him books and just everything. It was delightful, delightful little episode, even with the little, you know harrowing aspect to it where the kid wanders off because 
uh, Houlihan and Burns aren't paying attention to right. him. And They're he too wa- busy he, paying attention to each other. Yeah, he wanders off into a minefield. Yeah. But it's okay. Gets, Ironic that a minefield saved. would be so close to a mesh. Well, <laughs> only when they need it to be there. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, this is actually, uh, one. in one of my notes here, you mentioned this, of course, would be his only acting credit. If anybody has any idea, because I've researched this myself and I'm not coming up with anything, whatever happened to Edgar Miller, the actor who played Kim? Please send us an email and let us know because I'm I'm dying to know because I mean it so it's 1973 okay he would probably be in his mid 50s now um, mid to late 50s perhaps um, I'm just wondering if anybody has any idea whatever happened to him Edgar so if, are you out there yeah give us a communication Mash, yeah. mashfiles4077 at gmail.com please one of Hawkeye's many Marx Brothers homages did I say homages excuse me homages Homo- homages. homages yes homogenizes shut up. When he responds to Frank with horse feathers to you. That's apparently that's apparently a Marx Brothers thing, I guess. During This was something I noticed. During the mess tent scene early in the episode, we briefly see Igor, played by Jeff Maxwell, putting out a tray of coffee cups. But in the post-op scene, where Hawkeye is reading a book to Kim, Igor is now a wounded patient with a, pant, with a bandage wrapped around his head. Oh, yeah, I think I noticed that. Yeah. I was like, wait, is that? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's see what else. Um, I notice a continuity issue in some of the shots of Trapper in the minefield. The sky is a bright blue, but when the chopper plucks him and Kim from the minefield, there is fog and a cloudy sky. Well, it's also a different field. because well, when he's out there, he's standing. Kim is standing on this huge rock. Yep. And all of a sudden, the rock the, is gone. God, right? All because yep. yeah. Yep. <laughs> so. And let's see, when Trapper decides to adopt the injured Korean boy, Kim, he writes home to his wife to get her approval. Colonel Blake had previously told Sister Teresa that Kim would be all right in a couple of days and later changed that timeline by a few more days. Considering how long it would take, you know, to get a letter to home and back, you know, it seems unlikely that you would get a response in seven to ten days. So Hmm. to me, it's, yeah, it's, I... Not to mention the time for her to think about it. Yeah, to go through all that stuff. I wonder how long it it took to get... A physical correspondence out of out it of sounds the like it would have taken a while. Yeah. So because you think it would probably have to be picked up. We know the mail comes to them. Sure. So somebody delivers the mail, so that person would have to pick up the mail. Mm-hmm. Probably not a daily process nope. for them to go out. Assuming they maybe they had you know. maybe they had a, a section of mashes mm-hmm. that they went to. Yeah. The other then, thing I don't know is how how the postal service worked back then i mean if it's the same as it is today i mean still you didn't have equipment and automation to you know process thousands of you know letters in a day being routed necessarily to the appropriate zip codes and all that kind of stuff i mean the process back then was much more manual i would think yeah maybe it got to probably not hawaii they weren't a state yet but probably maybe got back to san francisco or something and it was processed there and then went out in the normal mail. Oh. Mail call is a later episode. Yes. <laughs> anyway, next we have episode seven, LIP, Local Indigenous Personnel. Mm-hmm. October 27th, 1973. Mm-hmm. Yep. A, I think the possibly the first episode to directly deal with racism. Mm, yeah, I, I, I would could... say directly only because there's always the little undertones, you know, Frank saying, I'm not operating on a Chinese soldier or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. So I'm just wondering, you know, and, this but was... He's, he's more like, I'm not operating on the enemy. You're right. Not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did I did have that it is a, the first mention of a racial slur. Um, this episode, Hawkeye helps soon-to-be-discharged enlisted man 
who wants to marry a Korean girl and take her and their kid back to the U.S. Uh, last episode directed by the aforementioned William Wired, Weird, however you say his last name. Um, I didn't have a lot for this episode. I had a couple things, note, but note not wise, much. Uh, the, yeah. the Lieutenant Willis is played by Burt Young, yep. who people may know him from the Rocky franchise. He played Polly, which was uh, Rocky's friend or lackey or something. Okay. Um, and I did have that this is the first mention of a racial slur. I'm trying to remember who said it. It was the girl that Hawkeye was yeah. da- dating. The G word. <laughs> yeah. So, you yeah. know, he, he goes in and he's all lovey-dovey all over. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, well, what have you been up to? And he tells her he tells her this story of the kid trying to get him and yep. his wife out of the country. And he's like, oh, he married a... Hmm? He's trying to marry one of our guys? Or yeah. she's trying to marry one of our guys? Yeah. yeah. Um. Let's see. First and only appearances, yeah, Burt Young as Lieutenant Willis, Corrine Camacho as Lieutenant Regina Hopkins, and Jerry Zaks as Corporal Phil Walker. Uh, let's see. The camp's PA system announces that tonight's movie is Flying Leathernecks with John Wayne, Ward Bond, and Maureen O'Hara. Ward Bond and Maureen O'Hara are not in that film. <laughs> Maybe they're special guests. Could be. Maybe they're going to be there. <laughs> yeah, Um, I have to admit I applaud... Uh, Hawkeye for dealing with, you know, her racism the way that he did. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, you know, I, I, I would love to get to know you better, get to know you better and whatever. I forget mm-hmm. the line. He says something about exploring her body all over right, and right. starting again or something. But um, and then it says, but, you know, there's some chemistry and all of that. That is just I can't, you know, I can't I can't take that. And then he so good night. You know, what is it? He said, good night, lieutenant. And then he said, can make that goodbye, lieutenant. And then he comes back in, takes his wine. And she was like. Is that all? And he mm-hmm. goes, no, there's something else. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought, you know, was great. But, you know, it was, you know, I I, I applaud what they did with this. So. I, I don't remember. Uh, do we see that nurse again? No. No? No, yeah. this was her only it appearance probably in the series. Probably got her thrown out then. Th- this was a light-hearted, you know, look at this sort of thing, which, you know. It, you can go, you can really go off the rails into seriousness, seriousness when you're talking about racial slurs uh, or racist material. Which and I, believe me, they do in season eight or nine. The mm-hmm. episode called "The Epi- or the Tooth Shall Set You Free." Oh, they tackled uh, racism. I mean, head on, head on. Oh, head on. Gotcha. Uh, Lieutenant Willis, mm-hmm. played by Burt Young, he's the one that would appro- approves. The marriage, the, the the kid going home with him, the, the mm-hmm. wife and kid going home. And uh, they get him just absolutely schnockered. schnockered. Well, they didn't do it. He did. True. He kept asking for he refills. Kept, he that kept, was on him. He kept drinking the gin. And, yep. and they get him in the end. Homemade they, they take pictures of him yep. <laughs> with, with the lipstick all over his face. Lipstick on his shirt. to see what you Bra. did last night. Yeah. <laughs> what so, was in the booze? Booze. <laughs> okay. Well, now we move on to episode eight. The Trial of Henry Blake. November 3rd, 1973. First and surprisingly only episode written by McLean Stevenson, who played Henry Blake. Yes. I actually uh, did not know that he actually wrote that episode. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. First and only. Uh, directed by Don Weas. Uh, number three of eight of the episodes that he directed. Uh, Henry is on trial on charges brought against him by, can you guess who? Majors Burns and Houlihan. Yes, Frank and Margie. Since Henry is is gone, he has to go to a trial. Yep. Uh, Frank is in charge, and so that uh, Trap 
and Hawkeye don't try to help Colonel Blake. They put them under house arrest, a uh, house arrest, without any clothes on. Dear basically, <laughs> house dressing. House dressing. <laughs> but I have a question for you, Mister Mash. Okay. Who wins the gurney race? In this episode, there is a gurney Bouncing race. Bouncing Betty, I believe. There is a whole bunch of of nurses being pushed around in the in the circle of the camp. No, wait a minute. Let's see. By the doctors, and they they're call they're, they're it, Henry is calling the race. I want to say it was Bouncing Betty, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm sorry. No, or no, was it Galawar? We, ha- we have it. We have a. It, it was Galawar by because he couldn't say. Well, she 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 won by a. Well, Galawar's the winner. Or whatever. <laughs> no, you're right. It was Galawar. That's right. Because so, we see. Yeah, we see that she is the one that breaks the the finish line tape or whatever. Yeah, with her her her, mam- her, her memories. Her, yes, that's it. Honestly, you guys are embarrassing. This episode is it's almost a flashback episode without a bit. without any previous footage right. being yeah. being shown. Yep. Basically, Henry's on trial, and they're saying did this the the people who are running the trial are like, did this really happen? And he's like, well, let me explain. And he says what happened. So you get the the gurney races, you get uh, radar <laughs> selling shoes on the side. Uh, Style right wingtip shoes of duh, boy, yeah, um, yeah, of some place somewhere. Mm-hmm. So radar selling wingtips for eight dollars ninety five. Yep, which in today's money from nineteen fifty one would be a hundred and six dollars and twenty five cents. That's about right. Not bad for a pair of wingtips. Um, <laughs> this made me laugh. It'll make you laugh too. A big red bird with fuzzy, fuzzy pink, pink feet. feet. Yes. They're recounting Klinger trying to escape the 4077 by using a hand glider. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> first so time he... and maybe the only time where they actually use probably, I'm guessing, Either a green screen or a blue screen, you know, you know, for him to show him flying. Because what I thought was interesting (laughs) was, we see him as he's getting ready to launch. He gets himself, you know, he puts the puts the glider on, but we see he has this like triangular shaped thing that he's holding onto with his hands, with his neck being at the the top of the triangle where the wings are. Mm -hmm. And the next thing where he goes, where we see him flying across, he's (laughs) literally holding onto them like handlebars, you know, and like he's hanging from the glider. It's like, okay, that's not what he was doing, but yeah. If I remember correctly, he makes it two miles? Something like that. Before they catch him? Yeah, before that, yeah. So I was thinking, uh, we, we, in end of October, beginning of September, are going to the MASH site. Yes. Uh, I will not test that theory of whether I can fly on a You don't want to reenact? No, sir. Uh, Come on! But I already got you the pink fuzzy feet. No. Yeah, they're right over there. Oh. Aren't they pretty? Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, you'll be wearing them, and I'm not wearing them. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> you, you have to buy the robe, though. Well, see, now, the other thing that's interesting about that is that, and, you know, again, just nerd alert, because he made the glider out of, like, bamboo, and he's, I want to say material. He said he used some sort of material. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is is that air would actually go through the material. Therefore, he would never acquire lift. He would never achieve flight because air would flow through. Because the idea of Brulee's theory about how air travels over a wing and under Mm -hmm. a wing and all that stuff, it's a solid, the wing is solid. There's no air going through the wing. But with his his glider, 
it the material the air would go right through the it, wing. Yeah, more more parachute esque. Yeah, if exactly. he was using a material like silk, you might get less passage. Well, why don't you but, try, why don't you test that theory and get back to me? We will. We'll, we'll if, be folks. Out there. If you don't hear episode three, <laughs> you'll understand. <laughs> uh, the road sign. I'm just going to throw it out there. It said San Francisco, Indianapolis, L.A., Burbank, Seoul, Decatur, and Boston. I like to – every time I see it, I go, ooh, what does it yeah, say? It's like what, see if it what, yeah, what, yeah, what cities are on at this time. Yeah. I got a, I got quite a few notes here for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be the first appearance by Robert F. Simon as General Maynard, Maynard M. Mitchell. Excuse Maynard. Me. Maynard. Maynard. Uh, let's see. First and only appearance by Hope Summers, who played Meg Craddy. Hope Summers? Yeah, that's her name. Um, and Jack Aaron is Major Murphy, who was actually just one of General Mitchell's aides. He would be an actor that kind of sat, I think, to the general's right uh, at the table when, we were there, when they were having the hearing to determine whether or not they should bring court-martial charges against Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. One of many appearances by Roy Goldman, who shares the same character name. He plays his own name. Yep. <laughs> he plays his own name. Yep. Does he tune um, it up? What's that? Does he tune it up himself? Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. A couple of goofs here, both related to Klinger. His house coat is a light blue or white color, but in this, but when he is shown going over, the house coat is yellow. So his really? house coat color changes color. Yep. Mm, I missed that. Pretty neat trick, huh? I also thought that you know him hanging from it would cause a lot of drag. So he wouldn't. He's in drag. Did you make, did you make a joke He's there? In drag. I see what you did there. I punned and didn't even know you it. You did. Funny. I punned over my own pun. Yes. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, okay, you mentioned earlier the um, the Gurney races. The names Galawar and Girl Away are mm-hmm. a parody to legendary racehorses Man O'War and Whirl Away. Yep. Um, the other thing also, oh, yes. The Style Right Wingtip Shoe Company of Stone Lake, Iowa, is actually not in Iowa. It's in Wisconsin. Well, they moved. Well, you know. Radar sold so many shoes, they could get a bigger facility somewhere else. And they got tax breaks. Okay. Uh, let's see. And one final thing here, a little bit of research. It says, while Major Burns and Houlihan are sticklers for military procedure and often file charges against fellow officers, they both could easily face general court-martial under Article 134 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice for Adultery uh-huh. and face dismissal, which is the officer's equivalent of a dishonorable discharge. True. Uh, they could also be, you know, thrown out for basic insubordination because they're always talking to Henry like, <laughs> yeah, like they shouldn't be if they're right. if they're under under him. Because the mash is okay. You're, it's not like it's not like the Pentagon. You right. know, you're you're oh, out yeah, in the middle yeah. of nowhere and you're just you're trying to patch up kids who have been injured on the on the you know, on the field and all this kind of stuff. So it just, it seems to me, you know, like a mash would be, from a military perspective, less formal. I also wonder, in in a real mash unit, I mean, Colonel Blake is only Colonel Blake because he was drafted and given that somehow. They didn't yeah. really give his, his He would have had to go to officer's command arc. school, though, before he would have. Um, but before, he's, yeah. yeah, he's basically just like any other of the surgeons, you know, he's not military. He's mm-hmm. just thrown into the military, which I wonder if they would actually put somebody in the colonel position, you know, operating a mash who wasn't military. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would do that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, you like you said, you have, you have Blake who presumably a lot of these folks were drafted. 
You know, I mean, it, I mean, Hawkeye even says in one episode, I, you know, I'm only reason why I'm here is because I made the mistake of opening a letter for President Truman or something to that effect. I think that might have been in the pilot episode, actually. But yeah, we know he's drafted. Trapper's he's drafted, drafted. Yeah, Blake. There's really no mention of, at least that I remember, of him having previous military oh, service that I remember. Okay, there's an episode coming up where I actually mentioned something. I just remember. Okay. Anyway. It's um, actually in the next episode. Yay. Oh, it Dear fits. Dad. It fits. Dear Dad, three. three. <laughs> episode nine. Or three and a half if you count Radar's report. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> episode nine. November 10th, 1973. Hawk writes his dad. I like these episodes. And again, mm. they're like flashbacks. Because this, I think, would be the last one of the Dear Dads, if I'm I, not mistaken. I believe so. Uh, they're like flashback episodes, but without... The previous flashback. footage. Yep. Yeah, the previous footage. Um, in this episode where they deal with uh, a, a racist sergeant, you get to see... Uh, yes, another another dealing with... Yep. Yeah. I forgot about this one. Yep. You get to see uh, Henry's home movie. His wife... Ah, uh, yes. His wife, one of his wives, which one ever, whichever one it is, sends him a home movie. And then they also talk about the monthly meeting. Um, this is what, what you just reminded me of... Um, they're having like a a, a, a get together. Henry is bombed. He is drunk, and he's talking to Father McKay. Boom. And he says he was taught he was somewhere talking to a one star general who ordered him to give a patient a coffee enema with cream and sugar. And he says. He's regretting saying it. And he's saying, I don't know why I said it, but I said with cream and sugar. He then says, before I knew it, I was on my way to Korea. So, like, he made the general mad by saying that, and then they shipped uh, him off okay. to Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that made me think. It's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe maybe he did. Maybe he was in the Army in that some capacity. No, that's or maybe point. he was just stationed somewhere else. Could be. And they gave him that as punishment. Um, the Sergeant Condon, mm-hmm. who is the, the, the racist sergeant at the beginning of the episode anyway, is played by Mills, Mills Watson. Watson, who is a veteran character actor of the 70s and 80s. Yep. If you've ever seen a 70s or 80s TV show, yep. you've seen him. He's everywhere. <laughs> His list yeah. is huge. Uh, Hawkeye mentions that as an army surgeon, he gets $413.50 a month, which in... Today's money would be $4,700 a month. Not too shabby. He's doing pretty well. Even in 1972, it would be $664 a month. Uh, speaking of the coffee enema, it made me look it up to see if it was a real thing. It was. It was a real thing. Coffee enema was developed by Dr. Max Gerson in the 1930s, and he said it was for the treatment of skin tuberculosis, diabetes, and even cancer even though no scientific evidence to prove that. But he, he would regularly... Uh, what's, if that what's was a thing word? today, my money's on Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm investing in Starbucks <laughs> if they bring back the coffee at them. Because I know a lot of people... should probably keep that a secret. <laughs> I know a lot of people who deserve a coffee enema. Shouldn't, With cream and sugar. Excuse me, doctor, shouldn't you cool that down first? No. <laughs> no, it's like get, getting one of those really crazy Starbucks orders where, the, you know, the little labels they stick on the side of your cup. It's like two labels tall with all the extra pumps of this and shots of that, you know? So. Hey, what's Ooh. it with extra cream and sugar? Yep. White chocolate, of course. Oh, and no dairy. Yeah. Yep, non-dairy. Anyway. So in this no episode. No to Starbucks. I like Starbucks. Right. No, you know, not slamming, not slamming them. 
in this episode, Sergeant Condon is a racist. He he demand he he wants to make sure they they're going to give him a blood transfusion. He says, "Well, make sure you don't give me the wrong color blood." Yep. And they're like, "Okay, sure." Um, and they they the the funny part of the episode is they while he's sedated in post op, post op, mm-hmm. yeah, post op. They they slowly use I think it was iodine to slowly dye him yes darker and darker. And every yep. time he wakes up, he's yep. like, "Hey, I'm yep. a bit." Um, in this episode, uh, they, 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 they get him with the story of the guy who invented the blood transfusion. Yeah. The process for separating blood for longer term storage for yes. plasma. Yep. Um, I have his name here. Dr. Charles Drew. Um, unfortunately the story that Hawkeye tells is false. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, the story that he tells is, uh, Dr. Charles Drew, an African American who invented the process of blood transfusion um, died because he couldn't get one. They, okay. He was in a car crash. They took him to a hospital. The hospital said, no, he's not, yep. uh, he's not allowed here. Mm-hmm. And he died because of that. Unfortunately, it's, it's a great story. It, it is. It, it, it changes the mind of Sergeant Condon, but it is untrue. He was in a car accident. He did unfortunately die, but it, he was not refused um, a blood admission. He wasn't. Okay. He wasn't given one because it would have made things worse. The, mm-hmm. This there. I read. I read a, a couple different things. The, the people who were actually in the car accident with him mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, no, that's not what happened, and that's not what would have happened with the injuries that he had. He was just really messed up in the car accident, and he unfortunately passed." Okay. Uh, but it's a good story, and it changes the mind of this young sergeant. Who who I think later at the end of the episode apologizes or, yep. or says, "Hey, you guys changed my mind." You know, one of the better happy hours. Yeah, Trapper in the in the monthly meeting, Trapper's middle name is stated by Radar as FX. Yeah, what does FX stand for? Good question. Xavier uh, John Francis Xavier McIntyre. Yes, you have redeemed yourself from the previous one that you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you did know both names. This episode was a good episode. I liked this episode. Uh, I thought it dealt with racism in a, in a good way. And, you know, the outcome, believable, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, that, that could probably do something. To, and then with, with someone in that sort of mindset. Yep. Um, this was also the episode that had the man with the unexploded grenade in him. Which yes. you mentioned in the previous yep. Mash Files episode yep. uh, is something that Larry. Uh, it was Gene Reynolds, Gene I believe. Reynolds. That he, yeah, that was that was something they had done or yeah. acquired through research. Yeah, they would go out and find real experiences mm-hmm. to, to put into the in, into the show, mm-hmm. and yeah, a man showed up with an unexploded grenade in him, and that actually happened in real war. Fun. <laughs> Let's see here. What do I have? Uh, yeah, there was a mention here. It says here Sergeant Condon's overly overtly racist request to get the right color blood was apparently not uncommon during the Korean War. Apparently after 1947, according to a Red Cross policy published in the March 1961 uh magazine of called Look, I guess. Look magazine. Um, hospitals were allowed to quote collect and hold blood in such a manner as to give the physician and the patient the right of selection at the time of administration. Apparently, mm. this practice, however, of blood segregation was dis- was continued um, up until about the late 1960s, according to this. Yeah, way too so, late. Yeah, I agree. But it was um, the 50s. It is set in the 50s. 
you know, it was not a happy time mm-hmm. for everybody. Yep. Uh, let's see. During the, uh, what is it? The, what do they call it? The, the Where they get together in the mess tent and have their monthly meeting the or monthly whatever. meeting. Yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, Radar mentions that at the last monthly meeting, a motion was held to hold a yearly reunion. The same concept would spark the entire plot of a later episode. That makes sense. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the last episode of season seven. Okay. Yep. And in this episode, there is a scene where um, Hot Lips and Frank are in the tent and, you know, she's kind of annoyed. Um, and, you know, and they get into a little spat and next thing you know, they're slapping each other um, and then they make out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before that, there is a, he, he uses the phrase, a vec plaisir, Miss Snake in the Grass. Mm-hmm. Well, according to this, it says, a vec plaisir is French for with pleasure. Hmm. Yep. And finally, uh, this would be the first time that Henry refers to his wife as Lorraine, whereas previously she was Mildred. It's probably both, knowing Henry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Radar, get my wife on the phone. Which one, sir? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which brings us now to episode number 10, The episode Sniper. 10. Woo! <laughs> uh, November 17th, 1973. These things came out weekly, didn't they? They did. 4077 deals with a sniper shooting up the camp. Guess who directed this one? <laughs> Jackie slash Carrie, Gary Cooper. Yeah. Jackie. <laughs> one of those two, I'm Jackie not sure. Cooper. <laughs> Jackie Cooper, the baseball player. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walt Cleaver. <laughs> Walt Cleaver. Uh, uh, Played by Ward Bond. <laughs> no. Now, uh, this episode contains famous character actress Terry Garr. Yep. Who she people, plays Lieutenant Suzanne Marquette. Who play? You may know her from movies such as Oh God, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. According to Stacker.com, Radar's butt in the first instance. Of, oh yes, is the first instance of male nudity on U.S. TV. No kidding. Interesting that it. You know that the censors actually let that pass. True. Even if it was just for a second. True. Yeah, um, you know, it, it paved the way for NYPD Blue and Dennis oh, yeah. Franz. <laughs> Boy, did it ever. Uh, Frank has a gun, and it really turns Margaret on. <laughs> oh, yes, the, the pearl-handled pearl handled pistol or something like that, supposedly yeah. that her father also had one just yeah. like it. So this is, I think this is the start, this and the, the, the future writing crop that we'll get to, really starts to make me wonder about Margaret and her father and, and whether or not Frank is like her father, even though we do, I think, meet him in a later season. Okay. But, um, yeah. Could this qualify maybe as a hint of daddy issues? Well, <laughs> the daughter going into the army to, to, to rise through the ranks to prove that I'm just as yeah. good as, I don't know if she has any siblings. Yeah. No, um, not that I know of. But her her mother wasn't exactly tame either. From what we find out later, and we'll 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 get into that because oh, I, yeah. I got notes on that. Okay. Ambulance driver in this episode, he has a line, so they give him a a a a, a, a buy. Oh yes, Dennis Troy. Of, Dennis Troy. He appears in this episode as the as the, as the ambulance driver. Now this guy, he's, seen, started, he's like Roy Goldman. He's seen he is seen in many episodes of Mash. Yes. Sometimes he gets credit. Sometimes he doesn't. I have started to notice him in a lot. They have him credited as twenty three episodes. But, yep. Um, he usually is playing a driver. Mm-hmm. He's usually driving somebody around, or he's just usually in the background. Um, what else do I have? Mother's milk is slang for gin. My kidneys were expecting orange juice. <laughs> Silly kidneys. <laughs> the the snipers shooting up the camp. Uh, they finally get through to 
HQ and they send a helicopter with a machine gun. I was wondering if if they would if the if the sniper would die or not, but Hawkeye runs out there, grabs his medical kit and takes him back in and he survives mm-hmm. probably only to rot in a jail cell somewhere. <laughs> that would be my guess. Yeah, I remember <laughs> he said he was just a kid and he thought yeah. he thought this was uh was it uh, General MacArthur's, MacArthur's headquarters, headquarters or something. He was 16 years old and thought he was shooting up MacArthur's headquarters. Yeah. Like, yeah, fortunately he didn't kill anybody. Yeah, uh, good episode. More of a treating it very lighthearted, the the situation of somebody yeah. shooting at them. Nothing really bad happened until you know, kind of the end with the helicopter and everything. It's like, oh, here's a little twang of mm-hmm. of evil, so to speak. Um, but they didn't kill him off, so no. They... And, but they did make him a kid, so it's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I. It's hard to tell from the from the camera's point of view, but the kid who plays the sniper. I'm not sure if he was someone who was used again, because I, if I remember correctly, I don't think that actor, even though all he's doing is basically laying there, I don't think he, I don't think he was credited in that episode. Maybe he was. I'm not sure, but I don't know if he's been in other episodes because I have this, I have this picture in my head of another actor who a Korean actor or or who would play a Korean mm-hmm. in the series. Um, he had appeared a few times, but I'm well, just not it's, sure. Well, it's it's a very brief. It, yeah, very it's a brief. very brief shot. He doesn't have a line, so he's, nope. it doesn't need to be credited. Yep. Um, so yeah, and he actually, from the look of it, and <laughs> from what they show of his of his chest wounds, I don't think he would have made it. But probably not. But you never know. Yeah, they uh, had good doctors there, I right hear. Well, of course, the best. <laughs> All right, episode eleven. Carry on, Hawkeye. Carry on, Hawkeye. Uh, November twenty fourth, nineteen seventy three. Everyone has the flu except for Hawkeye, Radar, Margaret, and Father Mokehi. Um I put the signpost in this episode says Seoul, Coney Island, San Francisco, Indianapolis, L.A., Burbank, Death Valley, Decatur, Tokyo, and Boston. So a couple extra there, I think. Mm. Frank's wife name name is Louise, mm-hmm. and Frank may have had an affair with his. <gasps> Receptionist Nancy. Yes, he's all loopy from mm-hmm. having the flu and mm-hmm. or the drugs that they're giving him because he has the flu. And mm-hmm. Margaret's trying to take care of him, and he mentions that. And of course, Margaret's like, "What?" Uh, mentioned on the announcements. I believe this is at the end of the episode. Uh, the announcements say that Doctor Ralph. Oh, I'm not going to say his name right. Doctor Ralph Bunchi, first African American to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, but he won in 1950, and we've already established that this season is in 1951, so that's an error. Uh, also, Well, it men- takes a while for information to get to them, too. Tri- well, that's a long time. <laughs> it also mentions that Joseph Stalin was, in quotes, re-elected. Okay. Uh, but he was re-elected again in 1950, not 1951. But they do play it loose with the timeline. The weather patterns for the MASH unit, it really seems to be... Crazy. Crazier than I am. <laughs> you know, it's like one episode, they're not necessarily wearing it's shorts. Frozen. Yeah, they're, it's but, cold outside and they're huddled around their stoves trying to yeah. keep warm. The next thing you know, they're wearing their Hawaiian shirts and out playing golf. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The, the weather patterns is like super freezing. Was the show filmed in Ohio? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> we are weather patterns. We go through seasons in a day a lot. We do. But uh, I wouldn't say this is a, an episode that glorifies the character of Hawkeye. I don't think it was that brass. It is focused on him, but I think Margaret and Father McKay and Radar get a lot of 
attention as well. Yeah. You know, they're trying to operate or, or work in the OR, operate the MASH unit without anybody else. You know, the, the, all the other surgeons are are incapacitated by the flu. Uh, and I, they, they do a good job. There, there's a couple scenes there. There's a scene there where, you know, they're all yelling at Hawkeye, hey, I need help over here. Hey, hey, mm-hmm. hey, hey, hey. My kingdom like, for a two, or a, what was it, a two-fisted octopus or whatever it is. I forget yeah. what he said. <laughs> Eight-legged octopus. I forget that was the line. An octopus, period. Yep. Uh, I don't think that would have happened in real life, but, you know, they, they did it in the show as a dramatic effect before the commercial break. You know, sure. Because, uh, you know, Hawkeye gets like, ah, I'm frustrated here, stop. And I don't think everybody would be like, you know, help, 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 help over here. But it, it showed that, that Margaret uh, knows what she's doing. You know, mm-hmm. they, they sometimes kind of pass her off as a little bubble-headed sometimes, you know. And I, I think that the, the character in the movie that we're not going to mention was a lot more bubble-headed. Like, I think well, there is there, really I, blonde. There is a scene when I think they're playing the football game, and I remember in the movie um, the guy who plays Henry calls Hot Lips nincompoop. Mm. Yeah, and there are moments when Margaret is a little eh, stupid sometimes, but there's other times when she's I would just, I don't know about stupid, but just, she just is uh, bubble-headed. Just it's like there, just for a brief moment it's like, okay, she doesn't have her A-game on. Yeah, oh, for sure. In this episode, she really shows what she was doing. She's a really good nurse um, and and Radar and Father McKay, really step up their game. So, not necessarily, I I think this uh, this episode probably could have been titled Carry On, the, the four of them. Yeah. Yeah. This was, you know, this was one of the episodes that it's like it's kind of like the two part that they do later, which is a collect, which is done in black and white. I, th- I think it's in season four, uh, where it's a collection of footage from previous episodes, but they call this the two parter, the finer, their, the finest hour, or something to that mm-hmm. effect. So here, I think this represents some of the 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 best in what can happen and how they rise to the occasion to try to keep things in order. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I have here, there's a scene in the office where Radar says to Hawkeye, I suppose you realize you're ranking surgeon now. Well, he was all, Hawkeye was already chief made surgeon. chief surgeon, so yeah. he would already be the ranking surgeon anyway. So I thought that was just kind of, just kind of, you know, it was well, kind of strange. Well, maybe he meant the, uh, the the ranking officer I'm thinking of so. the compound, yeah, but it, it, could would, be. it would be Margaret. But I think I read somewhere or, or something that, that, like, nurses... Like major nurses, I don't think they would be allowed to be. I think I think you're right. I think yeah, there was some some sort of disparagement towards female officers being able to hold command right, or, or just, something to that effect. Just... Um, let's see. The actress Lynette Meddy, I think is how Meddy Meddy M E T T E Y. Um, she made several. This would be her fourth appearance, um, but the second role that she would play in the show is nurse nurse nurse, nurse Sheila Anderson. Okay. Of course, in both cases, this is one of Hawkeye's love interests, you know, for the episode at the time. But she also appeared as Nurse Nancy Griffin in season one. But in all instances, she catches the eye of our hero. Well, of course. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. In the final OR scene, Hawkeye tells Radar, you're a good man, Tiny Tim. This is not only a jab at Radar's height, but also an in-joke refer- referencing Gary Berghoff's performance, originating the title role in the 1967 off-Broadway musical, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Oh. He's a Broadway man. Yeah. Oh. Yep. I did not know that. Yep. And I call I would call this maybe a goof, and I think it was just something that maybe should not have been caught on camera. 
when Houlihan mentions to Hawkeye that on the last chopper they there was a serum, a serum that had come in there that they thought would help protect against the flu, like a vaccine. Oh, yeah. Well, when she goes to actually administer the shot, Radar walks in, says, oh, excuse me, I'm so sorry. And then Hawkeye starts laughing, and then Houlihan gets mad, and she goes to jab him. But if you pause the frames that show her as she brings the needle back, she's like, if this pin here were the, let's just say this pin is just the needle. She's holding it like this. Uh-huh. You know, like that. It's like, I'm pretty sure you don't touch the needle with your fingers, especially without gloves, to try to administer a shot. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, it's a podcast, John. They I can't, know. They can't see this. I know. <laughs> I understand that, but I'm trying. It's like, okay, for you people, I'm holding a black pin. It's got a rubber grip. <laughs> anyway, but no, it's just the way that she was holding it. It was like she was literally taking it like she was going to jab. It's like, mm, yeah, that's she not was holding how, the needle. That's not how. Yeah, the needle itself, not the syringe holding the fluid. It's the actual metal needle. And I'm like, um, that's not how you give shots. True. Anyway. And when when you're injecting into the in, into the buttocks of your patient, you have to be sure to miss the bone. Oh, ouch. Yeah. I remember as a kid. So I go, you you know, probably sometimes. wouldn't want to throw it in there like that anyway. Yeah, it's like throw it like a dart or whatever. But <laughs> no, I remember as a kid, um, you know, sometimes I'd get sick and go to the doctor. And they, and when I heard the word injection, I freaked Ooh. because they hurt so bad. Nowadays, it's like, okay, do it. Just do it. Get it over with. <laughs> and it's nothing like what it used to be. I mean, they don't hurt like they used to. But I just remember, man, they stung. Like being stung by like oh. a bee stung. So anyway. All right. A good episode. Uh, I liked it. Yep. Um. Moving on to episode 12. The Incubator. The give incubator. me an incubator or give me death. <laughs> December 1st, 1973. Almost done with the 1973 year. Uh, the 4077 is in desperate need of an incubator uh, to grow cultures to suitable t- at suitable temperatures to be able to determine what someone has what yeah, ailment they have disease or ailments or or, or what have you um i have a note that says first hangover is this the first time we see our gang of misfits with a hangover because it starts yep. off it starts off with a shot of the swamp yep trashed oh yeah totally trash i remember uh, a scene they have a record player there and there's a can of beer that's just yeah. going around with the record moving <laughs> so they wake up with a hangover and doing the the, the normal shtick of uh, i'll be okay why are you yelling at me type deal um the other note i have yeah was it they said they were getting drunk on potato daiquiris oh god well it's vodka yeah <laughs> you can make vodka out of potato okay uh, so they want an incubator because they're tired of sending things off. To Tokyo for us to get it, yeah. Yeah, to get it back. And they go to a person who we have not seen before, and I don't think we see her again. Uh, the the lady in, in the shipping department that they suddenly have, they take it to her and they're like, we need to get this blood to Tokyo and, and stamp it extra, extra fast. We rush, need, whatever. Rush, yep. rush, rush. And she says, yep, you'll have it back in 72 hours, and then you can treat it. Yeah, it's like, who is this lab lady? Who is, what is this lab that we suddenly yeah. have? Yeah. Do we, to your knowledge, uh, see her again, or the shipping department in the MASH 407? If I'm not mistaken, this was the same actress in the previous episode, 5 O'Clock Charlie. She's the one that says, I, I, I can't give you four dozen sheets. Oh, was she? I think that's the same Ooh, actress. I'll have to look back. Captain Sloan, played by Elden Quick. Yep. Also played Captain Pratt in season three. Yep. Uh, and he reprised his role as Captain Sloan in season four. Yep. Uh, I always found his characters to be annoying. Oh, God. why? Oh, I don't just, know. I just, it's like, okay, 
what do you do for fun on a Saturday night? You play solitaire, right? That's what you do. <laughs> he's like he's like that kind of guy. It's just like, oh my god. I mean, even well, I've never been sick, and you know, it's like never touched alcohol or whatever. It's oh, like, okay, he's a teetotaler. Yeah, uh, plays solitaire with a deck of fifty-one. Sure. Um, Colonel Lampert asks for one thousand. Now, Colonel Lampert is a colonel that they go to who has three incubators, and they they go to ask. No, him. he doesn't have them. He doesn't have them? No. Ted Gehring, who plays Major Arnold Morris, actually has them, but the commander of the base is, is, Colonel, play, Lambert. is Colonel Lambert, played by actor Logan Ramsey, oh. who is the husband of, oh gosh, I forget her first name, but her, of course her last name's Ramsey, but she would play Thromama from the train, and she was the, the, the she was the, the female, yes, the female, the female villain in the Goonies. Oh, her. The, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah, exactly. I can't think of her first name, but yeah. Crap. Uh, yeah. Or any of her character names. Yes, yep. Logan Ramsey, I have him down as playing the colonel with three incubators. Uh, he won't give them one. He was also in an episode of Night Court as Morris Buckner, a lawyer that fills in for Dan Fielding. Uh, he asked for $1,000 cash for his incubator. Mm-hmm. That is $12,620 in today's money. So he's asking for a, a, a crap ton. Okay. Uh, the end of this episode is rather hilarious. Uh, the press conference, which is no place for facts. Oh, of course not. <laughs> Anne Ramsey. That was the actress's name. Anne Ramsey. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, there, there were some great lines. It's like, this is a press conference. Last thing I want to do is answer a lot of questions. questions. <laughs> it's like, why does this sound so familiar in yes. today's atmosphere? <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see here. Yep, first and only appearance by Logan Ramsey as Colonel Lambert. First of two appearances by Ted Gehring as Maynard, Major. I don't keep saying Maynard. Major Arnold Morris. Uh, no, no hot lips in this episode. Oh, yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Sometimes she's just not there. Now you, you told me about Logan Ramsey now, mm-hmm. and now I'm remembering that his. I didn't know that was his wife mm-hmm. who played the, the Fratelli. Yeah, the Fratellis. That's in, right. In in the Goonies. Yep. And was in Throw Mama from the Train. She was also. On an episode of Night Court. She, You're right, she was. She, she played a witch. <laughs> okay, so according to IMDb, um, apparently Larry Gelbart uh, was supposed to play the supply sergeant. But due to certain reasons, whatever those are, he did not play the role. And then later, um, there was some commentary that was provided by Larry Gelbart where he recounted that the role of the supply sergeant was originally played by Vic Taylor, whoever that is. However, this was shot again with a different actor, which was what appears in the final version. However, they forgot to change in the credits, so the credits wrongly show Vic Taylor's name. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't that make him the second... Um, uh, the actor that never was? Yeah. Tully? <laughs> him and Tuttle are Tuttle. off. To, him, Tuttle. And, him and Tuttle are off having a drink. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then the other thing also, this was a, again, in my research, um, this was a goof. While our heroes are sitting there talking to Colonel Lambert, he tells our heroes that among the items that he can secure for them are the odd B-52. However, the first B-52 did not enter U.S. military service until June 1955, nearly two years after the Korean conflict had come to a conclusion. All right, (laughs) one of my personal favorite episodes. Uh, I'm sorry, did you have more notes on this? No, I, I like right. that. I like that episode. Yep. It was good. It was a good episode. It was it was fun. It got them, it got them out of the, 
out of the camp. Yep. You know, it was one of those times. Even though all they, they had to do was just cross the hallway in the in the in the on the sound stage <laughs> and going into what stage. was pre op and because we mentioned yeah. that room, it's like pre op. It's you know, it's a lab. It's uh, the scrub room. It's you know, the kitchen. It's whatever they need for right. whatever the whatever script calls for for the episode. Like and if that. I'm not mistaken, the scene where they're at the press conference, I'm pretty sure that was the same building that would be used to do the um, officers' club that would ultimately make its way into the seven oh. seven. Makes sense. Well, yeah, it, it's set. The set dressing was so easy. Mm-hmm. Corrugated iron, yeah, and lots of yep. bare and, wood and, wood. and yep. shelves. Yep, and it could be anything you want. The it's odd nail green here tacky, or there, green yes. khaki things, and 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 generically labeled objects. Yep. So, <laughs> all right, episode thirteen. Deal me out. I have this one marked with stars and the word funny with an exclamation point. So I must have liked it. Okay. December 8th, 1973. Radar hits a local with a Jeep. A GI suffers from shell shock. And Hawk and Trapper clash with Frank and the CID. All during a poker game disguised as an officer's meeting or conference. Okay. Um, Directed by Gene Reynolds. Yes. Who produced 120 episodes, and if I remember correctly, he's the one who basically got this show started. Oh, okay. Um, second appearance of Sydney, although the first time we see him, his name is Milton. Mm-hmm. But this is Sydney, and it's basically the exact same character, so mm-hmm. why they changed his name, I don't know. First appearance of Pat Morita as Sam Pack. Yep. I really wish that they would have used him more. Really like him as an actor and as a character. This episode, it, it, it's it's them in the poker, and they they're kind of talking about what has happened. Um, or is it just interjected with things? I think it's just happening. interjected with things because I mean, Cut they t- to, yeah, yeah. I think they talked about like you know when um, Klinger refers to when he was when they came for him to you know grab him to bring him into the military cuz he was trying to avoid you know he'd been drafted mm. and he was trying to hide he said they had to they had chased me all the way into grand central station and he had to pay several dimes and quarters or whatever to get him out of a t- pay toilet <laughs> a pay or something toilet. yeah you know. holy super happy fun time uh, pay toilets yep um Radar takes Hawkeye and Trap's robes when they're in the shower yep cuz they made fun <laughs> of him yep he's talking about his height <laughs> private Kafka the cockroach that is a great joke, and not a joke a lot of people will get. Kafka was a writer, and he wrote a short story called Metamorphosis, where a man wakes up and has found that he has turned into a cockroach. Um, let's see here. Sidney mentions a soldier who, to get out of the army, insisted he was a cockroach, to which Hawkeye quips that he must have been Private, Private Kafka. Kafka. Fran, Franz Kafka is the author famous for The Metamorphosis, a 1915 novella about a man who wakes up and discovers he inexplicably been transformed into a giant cockroach. Yes. And there was another one said that he was with General Washington, that he'd already done his military service. <laughs> Sydney telling people. Right, some people that he has treated in the past. And then there was another one, I forget. Um, That's a great Oh, joke. yeah, that he was a plant that they insist that he water him. They water him every day or something. Yeah. <laughs> John Ritter is in this episode. Yep, Private Carter. It's his 11th TV appearance. He's the um, character who has the shell shock. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not want to go back. And he does a great job acting this. Mm-hmm. But again, I think they kept it a little lighthearted. 
ish. I mean, they didn't. They it. He's only in the episode very sporadically, and I don't think he has that great of an ending to his character. Agreed. Um, but there, it's it's like it, another just like soft episode. Let's not take it too far mm-hmm. and and just keep it. Mm. That's all true. This show being a comedy first and foremost. True. Yeah, first and only appearance by John Ritter. Uh, first appearance by Edward Winter as Captain Halloran, soon uh, to be Colonel Flag. My, my, my second I'm guessing character. Captain Halloran might have been one of his aliases. That's that's generally what people tend to believe, because yep. he is the exact same character, mm-hmm. just like Sidney and uh, 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 Milton. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see, first appearance by Tom Deaver. Or Dever, maybe mm-hmm. it's pronounced, as Lieutenant Rogers, and he will go on to play in other episodes. He's the wounded CID man. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, first appearance by Jerry Fujikawa as Whiplash Wang. Uh, he will also go on to play other characters during the series. That's the one who radar hits. Yep. Uh, let's see. Loretta Swit, also another episode she does not appear in. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she also does not appear in a later episode, The Chosen People. Uh, the only other episode guest starring Pat Morita. So she missed both episodes of Pat's uh, appearance. Mm. Um, let's see. Now, there was this whole thing about CID. CID means Criminal Investigation Department. Okay. However, a CID officer is exclusively involved in the investigation of crimes assigned to his department. But the wounded soldier in the OR is apparently an Army Counterintelligence CI. Uh, so I'm assuming the D would probably stand for division. Maybe. Um but Frank keeps referring to him as CID. Uh, counterintelligence would be referred to as CIC or Counterintelligence Corps. <laughs> and then later on we find out about G2. Yeah, G2, CIC, the CID, CID CIA. CIA. Uh, the only one they missed was CIB, Criminal Investigation Bureau. Bureau. So, uh, and one thing I also noted here was interesting. At one point while talking to Captain Halloran, Halloran asks Frank to take him to the surgeons who worked on the CID man. Well, Frank replies this way, sir, he's a captain. Frank's a major. Mm-hmm. It would be the other don't way around. You, I don't but, think you would call him sir. Now, I mean, I realize even if he is counterintelligence, counter CID, CIB, CIA, you know, um, CPA, whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I don't, you know, it, I, I, it, just to me it doesn't seem like, you know, he should have called him sir. I think that is probably an example of a rare instance where Frank meets somebody that he actually respects. That could be, he, yeah, yeah. That could be. He's always really like, ooh, ooh, CID, because he's very, CID, he's very gung ho, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. very gung ho, patriotic, yeah. buy bonds, you know, that sort of thing. Very <laughs> So, uh, I have in here that Henry utters a phrase which confounded me. I couldn't find anything on it, and maybe, maybe, maybe you've heard it before. He says, Henry says about somebody, he says he looks like he fell off a charm bracelet. Yeah, that's, um, that was when they were, that, he, that was actually spoken by Pat Morita. He says, was this guy was- about five foot nothing, about a hundred pounds or what, about, you know, somewhere between, what was it, 80 and 120 years old and looks like he fell off a charm bracelet. Okay. Yeah. Why having that as Henry saying that, but. No, that was I'm pretty. No, because because he was saying it's like Kerpel. Does this? No, that was that was spoken. I'm pretty sure by Pat. Yeah, I remember it now. Yeah, Yeah. I'm just wondering why I have it written down. No, I don't understand the reference to charm bracelet. (laughs) I I honestly don't. And I couldn't find anything on it. I was like, this. Come on, this is a weird little phrase. It would be neat to re-inject it into the universe. Uh, yeah, I like this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think all the episodes that had Sydney, uh, where Alan Arbus makes an appearance, I think were always some of the better ones. 
I, yeah, I do like the character, Sydney. I like the actor. Yeah, uh, he, he brought something to each episode. Colonel Flagg is, I think, my second favorite character. Yeah. And, and uh, Edward Winter. Yeah, Edward Winter. Plays it so well. Yeah, he does. And, you know, you, you see him sporadically in the in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He pops up. Uh, I know he's in the A-Team. He, he was in an yep. episode of the Golden Girls where he played a blind man. Um, good actor, and I always... Love to see this character show up because yep. he is just outrageous, mm-hmm. and Ed, Edgar plays it so straight. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, he's believable, and yep. everything he says that's ridiculous. He's just so straight and so mm-hmm. dead eyed. It seems like, like in every episode that. that he appears in, he gets goofier and crazier in each one. It gets more progressively <laughs> yeah, yeah. goofy. On to episode fourteen, another one I have. Marked as funny from December fifteenth, nineteen seventy three. Hot lips and empty arms. Yep. So the, so they made up for her being missing the last two episodes. So now they've doing episodes focused on her. This is true. Uh, a friend's letter causes Margaret to reevaluate her life. Yep. In the four zero seven sevens, probably in the army altogether, and request a transfer. Her her friend writes her a letter saying that she married somebody that Margaret had turned down. So she's got the, it could have been me, sort of feelings like, oh, I could have had that. Why did mm-hmm. I? And here I am. Yep. I'm looking at my life, and I've, I, I don't have everything that I should. You know, I'm, I'm dating a married man. Mm-hmm. You know, and just. Um, she mentioned something to the effect of he had a big house, a car, something, and she says, I would have married him if I'd have known. Oh and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Do we do we get a bit of you know margaret being a little bit of a gold digger maybe with the character of margaret again like i said before she's got the the bubbliness sometimes Mm -hmm. and but she's also got the you know i'm hard-headed i'm smart she has her smart moments they maybe they're trying to inject what what people might think of 50s the, the non life would be the non-military side of margaret yeah so you think in the 1950s they lived at home, they raised the kids, they took care of the house when the, the when the husband came home, they had the dinner ready and you know whatever else. It might not be too strange for Margaret to go I could have had the house and the car and and and, and being taken care of and mm-hmm. her softer side, her woman side comes mm-hmm. out. Um, yep. So yeah, maybe. Um this is uh, this is an interesting episode because it's written by uh Linda Bloodworth. And yes. Mary Kay Place. Uh, Linda Bloodsworth created uh, created Designing Women and Evening Shade. Mary Mary Kay Place is a prolific character actresses uh, character actress uh, appearing in over 140 uh, different things. Um, she was in All in the Family, Mary Tyler Moore Show, three episodes of The West Wing. Yeah, she played uh, the attorney or the um, Surgeon General. Surgeon General Melissant Griffith. Yes. Yeah, I've got some notes here. Uh, this was a goof. When Margaret and Colonel Blake are having a drink in the office, Margaret makes a comment that Henry reminds her of her father before he died. However, in later seasons, Margaret makes other references to her father, and in season nine, the episode Father's Day, we get to meet her father. Uh, I have first spoken lines for Lieutenant Kelly, question mark? Okay. Maybe. Um the st- Henry has a stag film he has shipped to him. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and he puts it under the microscope. Do you think that would work? Yeah, if you have enough if light, have I think light so. Yeah, it, I think maybe? so. Okay. 
Uh, Radar has Zakar and Brandy. I wrote down Mer- Margaret. Radar has, wait a minute. Radar has Brandy and a cigar? Come on, guys. Mm-hmm. He's sitting at his at his desk, uh, and he has a cigar, and he has a bottle of brandy, and he has a glass. And Margaret comes in and says, uh, "Oh I yeah, want you yeah, to get a hold yeah, of somebody. Yeah, that's right. Get hold of somebody. Take out that you know, put out that cigar. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay." Margaret character, I, I, I had this written down. Margaret character growth episode question mark, and then at the end of the episode, I wrote nope and 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 circled it. So I don't think it was a growth episode for her character. What do you think? Um, I think actually it was a little bit because I think it made her, like you said, it made it made Margaret reevaluate her life's decisions. Because even though, like you said earlier, she she kind of I think wanted that non-military aspect of her life to enjoy things like cooking and being at home and everything, and obviously not being in a war. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of her wants that. However, she also goes on, I don't know if it was in this episode. No, it was not. It was later episode. And I want to say it was after Colonel Potter arrives on the scene. But she was talking about, I think what it was, the episode they were talking about shipping the nurses out because the, you know, the 4077 was about to come under fire or something like that. And she had said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I was conceived on maneuvers. I thought, you know, a civilian was just somebody waiting for their uniform to come to the cleaners, you know, um, you know, I didn't, you know, I had a, you know, a screaming fit because my parents wouldn't let me have a crew cut or, you know, I mean, she was, she was born to serve. She says, I she's was born a, to yeah. serve. She's a brat through yeah. and through. Yeah. So, yeah. but I think part of her also still wants that non-military aspect that many other women, you know, true were probably A lot of people look at things that they don't have or, like or her, haven't experienced. Maybe call that maybe a normal life. Maybe. But I think in. And I put the word, I put quotations yeah. around the word normal. I think in this episode, though, she has those feelings. She's like, how, you know, it's it's kind of a, it's not a great starter, so to speak, because she finds out that a friend married somebody that she turned down. Mm-hmm. Why did I turn them down? You know, it's like regret. Um, she reavows her life. She asks for a request. And that's the start of something. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't do any of that because they get her drunk. Well, I mean, and by, but by the end of the episode, though, they're now back in the OR because there's casualties coming in or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think in all of that, I think that we see a little bit of Margaret kind of accepting her situation, coming to terms mm-hmm. with it and moving on. Perhaps, but I, I, I don't... Because she was back I didn't to get being... the sense that it was shown that. Yeah, you know? she was... I mean, by the time they get back into the, the, the OR towards the end of the episode, she's back to being Major Houlihan, not Margaret Houlihan. Mm. Okay, so that makes She's sense. accepting her... Her situation that I am an army major. I am a head nurse. I'm good at my job. This is this was I was born. This I was born to serve. She just so she kind of come to terms with it. So I'm thinking there. I think okay. I'm thinking there was some growth there. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she breaks. Uh, Margaret breaks up with Frank in this episode and brings his stuff back from her tent that he apparently has there. One of the things that she brings back is Bimbo the dog. Ah, uh, yes. She throws Bimbo the dog at him. Bimbo the dog is from the Betty Boop cartoons. Aha. Uh-huh. And if I read Boop, boop, be doop. I believe Betty Boop is not human because it's her love interest from the Betty Boop cartoons. Wow, I just learned something. <laughs> yeah. Um, My. Henry, the, Henry's little thing in this in this episode is his stag films. Uh, he gets a stag film, and then he wants to order more. But he's from do- the Tabasco Film Company of Havana, Cuba. Yes, and he's doing it through Radar with Radar's name, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Radar's like, what? Um, 
The Stag film cost $29.95. That's a lot of money back then. Which is $350 in today's money. Damn so that's Dang. that's an expensive stag film. That is one film. Uh, yeah, three hundred and fifty dollars is a lot of money. That for, is a lot of money for any film. Uh, yeah. and I'm sure this wasn't you know. What was it twentieth century Fox didn't make this stag film? Yeah, what was it? The two girls' names and what the parrots saw, or something like that. <laughs> okay, little potential little continuity goof. Uh, when Margaret and Henry are having a drink in his office, we can see that it's daylight outside just because the window panels in the back of the office, you can see it's light outside. Yeah. Radar comes in and tells Henry that a company of Marines has just been hit and they'll be arriving to the 4077 in about 45 minutes. By the time Henry walks outside a few moments later, all of a sudden it's dark. Well, continuity goof there, I think. Mm. Unless, of course, it was filmed in Ohio. <laughs> True. Uh, let's see, what else? When, ah, yes. When Hawkeye and Trapper are trying to sober up Margaret by giving her a cold shower, you can see that Trapper's shoulders, because he's wearing a uniform, his shoulders are already wet. So my guess is that was not the first take. Probably not. <laughs> uh, let's see, and then finally... Poor Loretta. She yeah, I know. Having to, having to get soaked twice, you know, <laughs> three times maybe. And my last note here, when the 4077th is awaiting incoming casualties, Colonel Blake orders Radar to call to make sure that the helipad is ready. But it's already dark outside, and med evac helicopters could not fly at night. No, because I couldn't see. Nope, couldn't see. No lights. Um, I had... There, there's a scene where where Margaret is... is drunk as drunk can be mm-hmm. and uh i'm not so drink or i'm not so think as you drunk i am margaret uh trap hawkeye and blake somebody says i'm ordering you to do it please i think blake says that to hawkeye and trap to get them to sober up margaret at this point loretta is acting drunk and and kind of moving around and she does something as he's saying that line and it makes alan alda and 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 McLean Stevenson kind of crack up, and I think that laugh is real. Okay, it looked real to me just by what, what what Loretta was doing. I love that little scene where she's looking for Colonel Blake, and she runs into Radar, and she says, As, "Can I?" I was wondering if I could see Colonel Blake, and she kind of walks off. And I wonder if he can, he can too. too. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and yep. of course, we have Frank almost removes Blake's pinky, thinking it's the patient's appendix. <laughs> oh yeah, that's my pinky, and I'm <laughs> very fond of it. <laughs> Next episode, episode 15, Officers Only. Woo! The aforementioned, the 4077 gets themselves an officer's club. Yes. Officer 15, uh, episode 15 from December 22nd, 1973. Hmm. I'm surprised they didn't air a Christmas episode first, but whatever. This is before Christmas. Four days. <laughs> uh, yes, in gratitude for Hawk and Trap saving a, uh, a general's son's life. Yep. He, he gives them a bar. Where's the booze? Booze. Where's the booze? Booze. First appearance of Clyde Kasatsu as Quang Duck, the officer's club bartender. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he will come back to reappear in several additional episodes over the series. He plays Captain Paul Yamato, yep. Sergeant Michael Yee. Yep. And the aforementioned Quang Duck. Yep. Uh, first and only appearance by Robert Weaver as Private Mitchell, the general's son. Uh, of course, the first uh, appearance by the officer's club. Ha uh-huh. <laughs> ha. And uh, the last note I have here, the bartender shakes a drink, then pours it for Burns. However, he says it's a Shirley Temple. A Shirley Temple is grenadine mixed in ginger ale or lemon-lime soda. 
due to the carbonation of the ginger ale or the soda, the drink would be stirred, not shaken. Frank likes it flat. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> uh, the, the... I'll get Jane Weathers' uh, opinion on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I found Klinger's stint to try to get out of the army by claiming that he was pregnant was quite funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my considered opinion that uh, I don't think the army is going to believe that you're pregnant. <laughs> Uh, this episode is where, in addition uh, to getting the officers' club, the general also gives Hawk and Trap leave for three days in yep. Tokyo. Yep. And I think it, it was rather, it was rather brilliant to not show them in Tokyo, but rather have Tokyo calling Colonel Blake to complain about the antics that that Hawk and Trap had gotten up to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like when it, when Radar busts into his uh, Henry's tent, he uh, tries to wake him. It's like, sir, it's like, what have they done now, Radar? <laughs> what have they done now? Uh, case of pipe cleaners to MacArthur's, MacArthur's table. table. That's right. <laughs> Rigshaw races in, in the, the mine, lobby. In the, was it the lobby? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And <laughs> a, a graduating class of pearl divers missing. There's half of them missing. Okay. <laughs> I have here that Sheila Lorenstein plays Nurse Watson, also during the run of the series, played 10 uncredited roles. She also played Nurse Hardy uh, in the Army-Navy game, Nurse Watson in Hot Lips and Empty Arms, Sheila in Henry in Love, and for for a want of a boot, and is one of the five nurses in the opening credits that are running. Hmm. So another example of them just reusing actors in different parts all over the place. Let me see your notes real quick. Let me see if I can pronounce it. Where is that? Lawrence. Oh, Lawrenson. We'll go with that. Lawrenson. Yeah. Lawrenson. Uh, Hawk mentions uh, Jane Withers' chaser mm-hmm. to Frank Shirley Temple. Jane was a, a very popular and successful child star in the 30s and 40s. She starred in movies with Shirley Temple. Again, he mentions the name, and I have to look it up and go, okay, who is that? <laughs> okay. So that's all I had for officers only. I like this episode. I did too. Um, that brings us to episode 16, Henry in Love. So that makes that the last episode of the year 1973. Mm-hmm. Henry in Love. Aww. January 5th, 1974, episode 16. Yep. First and only appearance by Catherine Bauman as Nancy Sue Parker of Independence, mm. Ohio. Yes. Second appearance by Clyde Kasatsu as Quang Duck, the bartender. Uh, I do have here the character Nancy Sue Parker and the actress Catherine Bowman were both from Independence, Ohio. Nancy Sue was a cheerleader from Ohio State, while Bowman was a cheerleader in real life at Independence High School, but went on to college at UCLA. Additionally, Bowman was Miss Ohio in 1969 and runner-up for Miss America in 1970. Woo! How about that? Right. And, funny enough, she would go on to appear in Trapper John M.D., which is a spinoff from MASH. Yes, and in 1988, she started a handbag and jewelry store in Beverly Hills and is known as the female Andy Warhol. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm, cool. Again, another sort of a factual goof, I guess. The pinball machine seen in the background of the Officers Club is a Gottlieb Spot-A-Card, which was first manufactured in August of 1960. <laughs> that radar can really just get I'm anything you, from anywhere. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know if this was maybe, it was, it was maybe to be for a future episode or maybe it was left over from a past episode, but I happened to catch this on the camp. They have, like, they'll put rocks 
around like tents and so forth to show like paths where you can walk and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. For whatever the reason, the rocks were painted red, white, and blue in this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was done to celebrate the fact that, you know, Nancy Sue Parker was coming. Yeah. Well, they're technically not supposed to be painted at all. Right. Because there was a net, I remember in one episode there was Frank was in charge or he was doing something. And he was having Igor whitewash all the rocks or whatever. And Hulane comes by and says, you can't do that. It's against air raid regulations. Well, so, Hmm. Although I think, you know, because the MASH unit did have a big red cross yeah. on the top. So it's like maybe they'd be like, hey, yeah, look at us. Don't yeah, bomb us, here. please. Uh, I put down that it looks like Gary Berghoff is really playing his bugle. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was really a bugleist, trumpeter, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, well, clearly radar, he can. Radar doesn't clearly play he, well. But. Well, he does the best he can. Um, I mean, but I mean, he got, clearly he is a good drummer. Yes. Um, but I think I think you're right. I think he there was probably some attempt to play, and maybe he had some experience with it. It also didn't sound eighty yard. So, uh, in Henry's office, when Henry states Nancy Sue is coming for a visit, Hawk says, "Glorioski." Glorioski, Henry. Which is a which is slang for great or wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is a catchphrase of the comic strip character of the late 20s, Little Annie Rooney. Hmm. Also in this episode, we find that we find out that Frank has three daughters, but we don't find out how old they are. And I don't know that his daughters are actually ever mentioned by name or we see pictures or anything. Hmm. I don't think. Uh, Henry has a son named Andrew. We know this because in the final episode of season one, his wife is giving birth. Yes. Part of the the ordeal. If this is the same son from season one, there's no way that Henry has a phone call, has a conversation that he does with Andrew when, mm-hmm. when he calls her. Because, uh, you know, he's thinking about leaving his wife yeah. for Nancy Sue. And Radar calls his wife and says, here, talk to your, your wife wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And he gets on the phone with Andrew and says, you know, Andrew, I'm not around, so you got to be the, yeah, the man, man of the, of the house. house. That's right. There's, there's no way that that kid's, you know, six months old, maybe, at this yeah, point. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yep. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, this one episode, I, you know, I had mixed feelings about it. I mean, I like the episode, you know, and I like what they did with it and everything else. But she she shows up. She likes Henry. Next thing you know, she's making out with Hawkeye. Yeah, it's it's not very. I It was it just seemed disingenuous. It's not very 50s. No, it's, definitely not. It's really not. more of a '60s woman. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the whole the whole deal with the the man twice the age, you know, basically dating what someone who could be his daughter, <laughs> a little off putting. Mm-hmm. And again, once again, Henry is married. He has three kids. It's like, come mm-hmm. on, dude. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because he at one point he's just like, well, you know, it's like, what am I supposed to do with Lorraine? It's like. Uh, Sorry, what you're supposed on, to do you know, about Lorraine. It's like you know, it's like what is there to do? You know, it's like you you know, it's, I forget the line, but you know, it's like yeah, it's like you've you've done your bidding. You can't, you know, you can't just go and leave her mid mid relationship or whatever. So we do see sort of um, the thought, I, I, or maybe the understanding of at least in this in this show's context of affairs. Mm-hmm. Trapper, he he does it. Mm-hmm. They think Blake slept with her, but he says no. I haven't. I think he says he didn't. I don't remember. Um, yeah. But they 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 both like. Oh, we understand. It happens. 
but you got to stay with your wife. Yeah. You know, they're, they're both like sympathetic with the fact, oh, you fell off the wagon, whatever. You didn't, you know, now you got to go back to your wife. And it's like, really? Is that really how people felt back then about, yeah, I don't know. about that? It's like, come well, on. Well, and the other thing was is that, you know, I thought it was a little hypocritical simply because at some point Henry gets a, a letter from home and the letter could be con- misconstru- could be construed as though she fell off the wagon too. She ended oh, up having yeah, an affair. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he's all upset about it. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Well, yeah. It's a double standard. Yeah. It's yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Anyway, now on to uh, episode 17. For want of a boot. January 12th, 1974. Uh, I have a PA announcement uh, on here. Okay. I just found funny. Attention. Captain Alvin Mercer leaves for a honeymoon in Tokyo at 0900 hours. Any nurse wishing to be the bride, please contact the captain. Hmm. No experience necessary. (laughs) So this episode centers around a boot. Yes. (laughs) And it's nothing to do with Canada. After months of waiting, Hawk finds that it may take more than a recreation... a requisition form <laughs> to get a new pair of boots. Requisition form? Requisition. Yeah, that one. Uh, directed by Don Weiss and one of four episodes written by Sheldon Keller, a legendary comedy writer who wrote for Sid Caesar, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Dink Van Dyke, Danny Thomas, The Gary Moore Show. He wrote for Carol Burnett, Jonathan Winters, and Joan Rivers, just to name a few. Cha-cha-cha. So, if you don't know who any of those people are, you go look them up because they're all hilarious. Uh, he's also a uh, member of ASCAP and a composer of music, and he's written for Frank Sinatra. Or I guess wow. you say he wrote for Frank Sinatra. Very cool. Uh, this is this is one of the shows where I wrote the weather is a character in this show. <laughs> it can okay. change on a dime. Like you said, yep. one, one episode, they're freezing to death. The next episode, they're not. And it's like... I, I tried to look up and see if Korean weather was really like that, but they're more, I was going to say more like Ohio, but we've made fun of Ohio weather <laughs> so much. But, you know, their, their lows in the winter are like 34. Okay. So it's not like freezing, freezing. It's not warm, but it's not, not cold freezing. enough. Yeah. This is the first appearance of Sergeant Zale as the supply sergeant. Yep. Johnny Hamer. Uh, Hawkeye's foot is a 10 and a half C, apparently. Apparently. Um. And I have written down what what all he has to go through in order to get his boot. Do you remember everything he has to go through to get his boot? Well, let's see. All right. It starts with Zale offering to, because he's the requisition sergeant, so Mm -hmm. it has to start with him. Well, he wants, he needs um, uh, some dental work done. Mm -hmm. So they go to the dentist, and the dentist agrees to do it if if they can get... Uh, the dentist, a three-day pass. Uh, let's see, it was played by, yeah, Michael Lerner plays Captain Futterman, who is the dentist. If they can get him a three-day pass because he wants to go to Tokyo um, to see the t- Kabuki and the Shinto Shrine and mm-hmm. the other things. And, he thinks he's Japanese. Right. He's boring. And so then they go to Henry to get the three-day pass, but he's having problems with Hot Lips because she's working on a special... Um, Report to General Mitchell, I think, or one of one of the generals. She's reporting him again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so she says she won't report, send the report, if he'll arrange, if Hawkeye and Trapper will arrange 
um, a birthday party, a surprise birthday party, complete with presents and stuff for uh, Frank. Okay, then they go to Radar to get help with getting the cake and all this other stuff. And she says, well, I want I need a date with a nurse. And she wants Nurse Murphy, the, the Wonder Nurse. nurse. The Nurse. <laughs> yep, Murphy. And so they go to her, and she said, yes, she'll agree if they get a hairdryer. Mm-hmm. They go to Klinger Aha. to get the hairdryer, but he wants he wants out of the army, so they want he needs three officers to sign the the he's, discharge papers or four four what or was he's, that what it was for? Yeah, he's got those two. He's got those two. They just need to sign his crazy papers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the process by which they go. They need to get Mark or Mark Frank and Margaret's to sign signature, which I actually have a note about on this episode, which I thought was kind of ironic. Ah, okay. If you think about it, in the previous episode, they bring a psychiatrist because they want him discharged. Mm-hmm. But now they won't sign right. the discharge. <laughs> and he doesn't deserve one because he got one right. and he turned it down. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I just I thought that was kind of ironic. So let's see. What do I have here? Yep. First appearance and only appearance, Michael Lerner's Captain Futterman, the dentist. First appearance, Johnny Hamer. First and only appearance by Suzanne Zener. Zenor. Uh, as Nurse Murphy, the Wonder Nurse. Um, yeah. So for one of a boot, um, I in my research, uh, the title is from an ancient proverb, quote, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Ah, so yeah. it's the title refers to sort of the process that they have to go mm-hmm. through. Yeah. The, 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 they got exactly. to get, get that. They got to get this. Nice. Yep. Um, and then here's a little bit of a, I do have a goof here. Klinger refers to Hot Lips as Major O'Houlihan. Ah. She is not an O'Houlihan. <laughs> no. Um, let's see. You mentioned, yeah, and you mentioned um, his discharge would require four officers to sign. Klinger says it's no use because Burns and Houlihan would never sign. This is what I mentioned a little bit ago. However, all the nurses are officers, as is Father Mulcahy, any of whom could presumably sign. Ah, this is also the episode where Margaret gives Frank, for his birthday, the the writing cross. Yes, yes. And I looked this up because I remember seeing certain officers, or at least George C. Scott, playing Patton yep. with it. And I was like, I wonder if that was a thing. It is a thing. It's called a swagger stick. When, like, MacArthur or Patton had it or an officer had it mm-hmm. uh, who wasn't in a, uh, a horse regiment, wasn't, yeah. wasn't a rider, yeah. it was called a swagger stick because it had no use. They didn't need it. It wasn't a, it was a riding crop, but... Yeah. Didn't Colonel Clink carry such a thing in Hogan's Heroes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, he did. Okay. Uh, Margaret gives, the, gives, it, gives it to Frank... Uh, it was her father's riding crop that her mom gave to him on their wedding night. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love this line. I wrote it down. Uh, they love you, Frank. It was their hatred that fooled me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I had a note here, and this kind of goes back with what you said about the goofy weather that they would show. This was just something that I would that I kind of noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's happened in more than one episode. But the show opens... To reveal a friend, you know, it's a windy day at the 4077. And as Hawkeye enters the swamp, the audience can hear the wind howling, but as soon as the swamp door is closed, the howling stops as though that flimsy door 
with the screen window half uncovered would stop the wind completely. Or or, or the canvas. Yeah. The canvas tent. Yeah. That little yeah, that, that flimsy door that's two panels thick with the right. with the opening at the center that's got a you know, that's got a standard screen in it. Um, that's got the, the whatever, the, like the cover that would come halfway down, and then you've got this big gap under the door, the gaps on either side of the door. It's like, that's not going to stop the wind. <laughs> yeah, no. So I just I thought that was kind of funny. I, I, whenever I see one of these episodes where they're all bundled up from the cold, I always feel for the actors mm-hmm. and actresses mm-hmm. because MASH was filmed either on a sound studio, you know, which, yeah, sound which, stage, yeah. which isn't air-conditioned maybe a little bit. but it's I think a, it probably would be a it's little. A, but it's a huge building. area. Oh, yeah. You know? So totally. they... they probably don't pump a lot of, you know, air conditioning in there, if mm-hmm. at all, or when they're out at the Malibu State Creek Park where they filmed yeah. it, out yeah. the outside shots, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally you can see uh, their breath in some of the yeah. shots. Yeah, no, and they, I remember um, the 30th anniversary, uh, the two-hour that they did a special on, mm-hmm. they mentioned that, you know, in some of those episodes, they said it would they would start early in the morning filming, and they said it was freezing cold there in the hills in you know in southern california in the valley, like, yeah like and they that. said they, they would sometimes they would be clamoring to each other for heat and trying mm. to keep warm and all this other stuff yeah so but i can only imagine them running around trying to pretend it was cold when, when it really it, when wasn't. It wasn't right it's like mm. <laughs> it's yeah like, there I were there were y'all. definitely times when it, it, it you could tell it was like okay yeah it's really cold there or okay that's clearly not yeah, it's not cold at all <laughs> yeah. But, yeah uh i really liked this episode it was it was well written obviously it was written by someone who knew what the hell they were doing mm-hmm. um and it just it it came together you know we got to get this to get this to get this to get and of course it fall fell apart at the end mm-hmm. all in the tent you know where they're having the birthday party you know of course frank ruins everything what was that what was that lady who swallowed the fly and then she swallowed the spider to get rid of the fly and then she swallowed the mouse to get rid of the spider, and they swallowed the cat to get rid of the mouse to get rid of the. You ever heard that? Yikes! <laughs> that was no, a... I no, I haven't. But it's like wow, it's like you know, swallowing a spider or whatever. It's like you know, they did that on, uh, they did that on an episode of the Muppet Show, and they did it with really, yeah, they did it with uh, a shadow puppet. So it was a shadow puppet of a lady, and then you know, every she swallowed the animals. It was it was really nice. It doesn't look it up. It's really. Cool. Okay. But that that remind this episode reminds me of that sort of thing. Okay. The chain event that you have to go through to get something else. Yeah. No. It, I think yeah. It's an old nursery rhyme, actually. But the line that he uses at the end, you know, when everything falls apart, he who Hawkeye. Okay. You know the the you know the, all the stuff that he goes through. <laughs> all and I then, wanted was a boot. <laughs> no. It, yeah. No. But it was. Um, <laughs> After everything falls apart, he says, well, you know, we can get you the appointment with the dentist. We hear he's not going to Tokyo. And then it's like, meanwhile, on the other hand, if I get Raider a, a, you know, Raider uh, a date with a dentist, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. so I always thought that was I, great. I thought that I wondered when I saw that, I wondered if the <laughs> that he says was actually real or not. I was like, I think it was Alan. No, that, yeah, because I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's right now, the, all the sucks and all the stuff he's he did. I mean, to... he even says it right here. Here's a quote I did find. He says, you know, I think a surprise party in the mess tent with a big cake and at least 20 people in presence might stop my report. It's like, it's a deal. And all guys like, no, it's not. I've just run out of hypocrisy. My dignity tank is getting dangerously low. You expect me to drag 20 screaming people to a party for Frank Burns and paint smiles on their faces and presents? Half this camp spends its time sticking pins in little Frank Burns dolls. I will debase myself just so far for a pair of boots. Ah, 
party for Frank Burns? And then, of course, he walks outside the first puddle he hits. It goes right to his socks. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. No, that that, very, that was that was a great episode. Very well, well written. Okay. Uh, we are on to... Another great episode. Episode 18, Operation Noselift. Uh, January 19th, 1974. First and only appearance in front of the camera by Todd Sussman as Private Danny Baker, mm-hmm. the camp's PA announcer, one of two, three or four, or whatever they're up to now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to do a special episode just on the PA announcers. Okay. Uh, but yes, Operation Noselift. Yes. Uh, Frank and Margaret are on Henry's last nerve with their complaints to General Mitchell. Private Danny Baker keeps going AWOL. Hawk and Trap and Mulcahy discover it's because of his huge nose. Yes, his uh, insecurity about his nose. Uh, second and final appearance by Stuart Margolin as Major Stanley Stosh Robbins. Mm. The Surgeon to the Stars. Did not like this character at all. He is a womanizer, clearly, in both episodes. Yeah, we he's the, the actor played... Philip G. Sherman in Bananas, Crackers, and Nuts from season one as a visiting shrink uh, sent to evaluate Hawkeye. Father McKay mentions uh, Jawbone of an Ass. Ah, yes. (laughs) He was having a conference, or he was having a discussion with uh, Danny Baker about his nose. About his nose. And he says, okay, let's go go talk to whoever. And he says, let me just mark my place here in the Bible that he was reading. It's like Jawbone of an Ass. Jawbone of an Ass, which is Judges... One five one. Samson uses the jawbone of an ass to slew a thousand men. Good for him. Hmm. <laughs> he really he, he was chewed up some people, I guess. No. <laughs> uh, the episode opens with the camera as it pans across the camp, ending at Henry's tent. But then we cut right to Henry's office, which is not in his tent. No. <laughs> and we did briefly mention earlier that uh, we were thinking about doing an episode specifically on all the individuals who may or may not have done announcements on the show. Yes. Um, I have a note here. Todd Sussman, he did the bulk of the announcements in the early seasons and appeared in the episode Operation Noselift. The other PA announcer early in the series was apparently Jimmy Lydon, L-Y-D-O-N. Yeah, I saw that somewhere and wrote it down, and and I'm going to investigate him, too. Yeah. Stosh, when he comes to the compound for the first time, he's looking around, looking at at, at the MASH 4077, and he said, If I were you, I'd call in an airstrike and start all over. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because, like, yeah, it's like, well, I've seen, he's like, well, I've seen the compound. Where's the camp or whatever? (laughs) And then they take him to the VIP tent. It's like, where do you flush this room? (laughs) I also have... Uh, Frank's talking to Radar, and Frank says, I'm a doctor, and that's crazy. And Radar says, I've heard that, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one thing I noticed, I know you and I, we talked about this, you know, before recording this, but, uh, you know, and I, I realized, you know, it was 1974, they did the best they could, but, I mean, clearly you can see where uh, Todd Sutzman's real nose ends and the makeup slash prosthetic begins. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Whether or not it was or not, I even brought up photos the best I could because it's it's not easy to find pictures of someone at certain angles mm-hmm. when you're looking for them. Yep. Uh, it, after the surgery, there's no, you don't see the character again without it. Mm-hmm. So there's no payoff. So I, I was like, is it just bad makeup? Did they really put a prosthetic on him? I couldn't really tell flipping between two pictures of him. Yeah, there was there was something there, but whether it, maybe it, maybe it was just like maybe some uh, like clay or I, I don't maybe. know, just some material that they could use to to add on to his nose. But, I, I wish know. they had brought 
him back and, and, and yeah, we could have you know, actually seen the fruits yeah. of Stasha's you know work or whatever. I don't think it was that much bigger though. Maybe I, I don't. know. Maybe they tried that and it didn't look that different. Um, I do. They at the end of the episode to hide who got the nose job from Frank and Margaret. Yeah, everybody's they, got. They, yep. they put nose bandages on everybody, including in, the camp dog, which we never see. Yeah, before <laughs> and I guess yep. after maybe I put that down. I was like, where did Pooch come from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just before Radar got his his herd yeah. of animals. Yep. <laughs> and then let's see when Henry is talking to. Danny trying to understand why he keeps doing these things. He says, you know, we had the blob and the thing all in the same week. Well, apparently the movie called The Blob did not release until 1958. So no payoff at the end with whether or not he he came out looking better or not. Right. I, I thought that was a bit of a jip. Yeah. I liked the bandages on everybody. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a funny yeah. tag to it. What I didn't like was the scene between Stosh and Margaret Houlihan. So Stosh is being called to perform the surgery, and as he's coming out of his tent, he sees Margaret walk by, and he starts following her. Yep. And he follows her into a supply tent of some sort and Mm -hmm. sexually assaults her. Won't won't let her go. She keeps saying no. And was this really funny at some point? I can understand them maybe thinking... Sort of the 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 Pepe Le Pew factor yeah. of it, you know. Yeah. But the I didn't find this funny, and I didn't. No I, sexual I didn't, assault. I didn't I mean, it's like not, it. Yeah. And it's like, did you guys? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. No. Like no. I don't like it, and it kind of turned me off on the episode, and especially when Hawkeye comes in and goes, "Oh, Tosh, shame on you. Let's Stash. go." Yeah. Remember why you're here. Yeah. It's like really that's what you're gonna say, and then yep. of course uh, I believe Trapper. Tries to yeah consoles her a little bit consoles her a bit and it's still just a little nothing gonna happen to you less than you leave old Uncle Trapper's arms it's just too creepy and it's a little bit Um, I had one last note here Um, now you know of course when they shoot on stage nine Mm -hmm. um, there is a backdrop that hangs that's supposed to look like you know trees off in the distance the hills and things like that. if you if you're on a widescreen television, you there is a brief scene in the upper, either upper left or upper right corner. I can't remember which. I think it was the upper right corner where you actually see the camp, the backdrop. You see where it stops. Oh, you see yeah. the edge. <laughs> yeah, if you see the edge of it hanging. I know. There, so. Sometimes with backdrops, you'll see either you'll see it uh, waving a little bit sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. or a, a, like a wrinkle yep. in the sky. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. Episode nineteen: The Chosen People. Yay. January 26, 1974, directed yep. by Jackie Cooper. Yay. Which I, I just read. Gary is jealous. Jackie Cooper is friends uh, with Gene Reynolds, who okay. basically started MASH to get yeah. the series going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Quick, it, who thought it was a good idea Jackie, to make turn MASH into a television series? Uh, Gene Reynolds? No. Because Gary Berghoff. Gary Ber- Oh, well, yep. okay. <laughs> Jackie Cooper got Gene Reynolds his first... Uh, Hollywood job, basically, as, oh, really? a, as a director. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, they're, they're buddies. Uh, a Korean family claims the 4077th is on their farm and wants them to move. Yep. And a Korean girl claims Radar is the father of her child. Mm-hmm. Last episode to feature Pat Morita as Captain Sam Pack. Yep. And I really wish they would have kept him... Yeah, I liked him. On the show more. Yeah, I liked him. Pat Morita is a wonderful actor. He was. And the character is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he would have fit just fine. Maybe not Maybe not as like an every episode character, 
but you know, every once in a while pops in and blah 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 whatever. Yep. I think it really really worked. Yeah, I have here that this was another appearance by Jerry Fujikawa, who was Whiplash Wang. He plays the Korean father. Oh, is it the same guy? Yep, apparently. <laughs> uh, first and only appearance by Dennis Robertson as Lieutenant Michael Harper, J-A-G. J-E-G? JAG. Ja- oh, JAG. Yep. General Advocate General. Judge Advocate General. Judge Accurate. Yeah, that's yep. what I said. Yeah. Easy for you to say. <laughs> uh, let's see. A lot, a lot of firsts and onlys. Uh, first and only appearance by J.J. Jew. Hmm? G J U E. Oh, that's the shoeshine he's, kid. Yeah, he's the yeah the green boy who plays the shoeshine. <laughs> I love the shoeshine kid. Yep. Every time shine somebody Joe, tries shine to Joe, shine Joe, every shine time Joe. somebody tries to walk away, he's like he's grabbing their legs and putting right back up there. He's already doing it. He's like what yep. the hell? Yep, and he winks at everybody too. <laughs> First and only appearance by Claire Toral Toral as Chun Hee. She was the ostracized Korean mother. Let's see. Ah, yes. The first time you know it's interesting when Henry is in his tent shaving the Korean family's cow come strolling in. Mm-hmm. First and only time I've ever seen a tent door swing inward. <laughs> it, it, it swings, Would have just made it sense. It was ways. Well, the, 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 the cow knocked it off its, you know, the well, stopper. <laughs> what I would have thought was, I mean, it was okay. It was not like it was cold outside. So why didn't they just leave the, why didn't just have like the camp door open? Or I'm sorry, the, the tent door open. <laughs> no. Why, why does Henry call the, the girl or the cow girl? It mentions a girl he refers a, a to few times what, and no, then goes no. boy at the end. No, it let's see. Um, okay, it's like um he turns around, he sees the cow, he goes, Cheese and crackers and <laughs> radar you know, and what was it? He says, Sir, there's a Korean family out here where their dog is in here. <laughs> their dog is in here. It's like nobody's gonna hurt you, bossy. Nobody you know, nobody or what was it? Take it easy, bossy, nobody's gonna hurt you, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> um Radar gets hit with an egg while playing his bugle at the beginning. That had to hurt. <laughs> I mean, that had to sting. Again, he really looked like he was playing that bugle. But, yeah, funny. Um, the civilian affairs rep that gets called uh, complains about getting $640 a month. States it isn't real money. In 1974, when this episode aired, that would be $4,000 a month. In 2023, it is $8,100 a month. What does he think real money is, and why is he complaining? <laughs> Good question. Well, they were they were paid military script. So. It didn't transfer, right? Uh, let's see. I had one other. Yeah, I had one other note here. Thinking Radar may be the father of a local's newborn baby, Sam says to Henry, "You got trouble right here in Pregnant City." Mm. Apparently, this is a reference to the 1962 musical, The Music Man. Quite possibly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Frank gets hit on. When he calls, uh, yes. Colonel Blake tells him to call. Yes. You, fine, you call uh, civilian affairs and talk to them. Yeah. And Frank is all talking to him in his frankly manner and, and gives off a vibe. Yeah, he yeah he mentioned, <laughs> he says, you know, I kind of have a feeling we're kind of the same. same. And, you know, yeah. maybe we should hang out sometime, you know. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> yeah. So. so. Uh, yeah, you mentioned before, no Margaret on this, in this episode. Yep. Uh, second, she never got to work with Pat Morita, I guess. Yep. That's right. She missed both performances. Oh, well. I hope it wasn't for anything nefarious. <laughs> uh, episode 20. As you were. Mm-hmm. Raider mentioned that he was 19 in this episode, while Gary Berghoff was 30 when this episode was filmed. Uh, this was released on Groundhog Day, 1974. <laughs> okay. This is directed by Hi Averbeck. Hi Averbeck. Yes. Hi. I guess that's how you say that. He also directed, well, he directed 20 episodes of MASH and directed two episodes of After MASH. 
they really need to release that series because I really <laughs> would like to watch it all the way through. It would be nice. Yes. Um, okay, but, people out there, are you listening? Yes. Well, <laughs> the team delivers a baby, operates on Frank's hernia during a power failure, and plays pranks on Frank while they're in a lull, uh, in, a, in a lull of casualties. In other words, they're all bored. Yes. <laughs> um, I said I have a note here. It says, looks like Gary Berghoff can really play the piano. He's in the officer's club uh, with Walter McKay and he's tickling those ivories in it. To oh, me, yeah. To yeah, me, yeah. it looked like he was really playing them. Yeah. During Henry's lecture, Hawkeye refers to the cardboard woman and man as Maggie and Jigs. These were characters from the George McManus comic strip, Bringing Up Father. Mm-hmm. There were also five films featuring the pair made between 1945 and 1950. Yep. A, com- a couple, an Irish couple that constantly argue with each other. Mm-hmm. And the other note I had here is that we, at the end, we see Klinger. He is uh, sewing material for his next dress. However, the fabric is not actually under the shoe of the sewing machine. Oops. So, <laughs> tiny little little detail there we notice. Uh, I love how Frank is so bored he's lining up condiments to make it look like uh, yes. they're not there. A li- yes, a line <laughs> by height and popularity. Um, and that way when you look at a bottle of ketchup, it looks as though there's only one bottle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Klinger and Rita Hayworth's gilded dress. Not something I want to see. No. <laughs> I love that they box up Frank in a wooden crate yes. while he's sleeping. Yep. <laughs> they put oatmeal in his gas mask. Mm-hmm. Hawkeye and Trap get their gorilla suits yes. from the Philadelphia Company. Yes. <laughs> Philadelphia Costume Company or whatever it was. playing poker. Yes. Playing poker and it's like... Hawkeye? It's like, it was, yeah. It's like you need to deal with your hernia, Frank. And that's like, okay, they're good top flight surgeons. And it's not like they're animals. Yeah. And then they walk they in. They walk in. And they're animals. I would have found it funny if while they were evaluating Frank, because they're running around going, <laughs> if when they were done We'll discuss it. Frank, we'll do it. Me and the missus. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Now, in that scene, Hawkeye is basically the only character that talks English. Mm-hmm. It would have been funny if Trapper had walked in. After. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. I, uh, I had a note here. Who is George? Do you remember uh, Hawkeye asks George to come and finish up with a patient while he's while he's doing oh, something? And yeah. Hawkeye goes on there to was somebody another, else. Yeah, there was an uncredited surgeon there. Yeah, somebody like, else named George. Who's yeah, this? Like, who's, yeah, who's George? And this was a note that I made after... This was Captain Casey's replacement. Are there only four certain? Yeah, <laughs> are there only four surgeons in the mash? Yeah, and would that be true in a real mash? And you said mashes that you've seen the real mashes that you've seen are a lot bigger mm-hmm. than this. There are only four surgeons: it's Henry, mm-hmm. Trapper, yeah. uh, Frank, and Hawkeye. You also may remember that, like in coming up in season three, there was an episode or two where Loudon Wainwright the third. I know it's a name. Captain's, he plays Captain Spaulding. He's the guitar player that plays, oh, Tokyo. You know, he sings that, okay. that little ditty. But he plays a captain who's also a surgeon. <laughs> so it's like, apparently there were just some episodes where they just happen to have an additional surgeon, I guess. I guess. I mean, it seems like too few surgeons around. And uh, the other question was, how many people are actually at the 4077? Well, what's interesting is, is that, like, and it's a great question you asked because... There are scenes where we, you know, when we see the camp assembled for, you know, attention or roll call or, roll call or yeah. whatever, and there's all these people in rows and columns standing there. It's like, where do those people sleep? Yeah, because there's like only 
a couple solitary tents. That yeah, we there's see. not much. Yeah, there's you not see much Blake's, there. Blake's tent. The swamp. The swamp. Margaret's. Uh-huh. Father Mulcahy. Father Mulcahy. Clinger always had his own tent, apparently. But we don't see those tents. Separate, yeah, there's separate not, tents. Yeah, on, there's not many the tents field. there. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure not every mash was identical in terms of number of buildings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were smaller mashes. I don't know. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Why um, do people wait so long to go to see their gorilla? Right. <laughs> All right. Episode 21. Crisis. Crisis. Uh, February 9th, 1974. Directed by Don Weas. Eight of 16, so he's halfway through his thing. He directed four episodes of the Batman 66 show and 22 episodes of Fantasy Island. Mm. De plane, boss, de plane. Wow, you really sound like him, too. <laughs> when enemy actions cut supply lines to the 4077 mm-hmm. in the middle of a freezing Korean winter, the unit struggles with shortages of supplies and heating fuel. Yep. Again, the weather steps in to make sure that they have its own character. Mm-hmm. Because in the previous episode, they didn't look that cold. <laughs> so let's see here. Um, this was the first time Father Mulcahy is shown wearing his Loyola hoodie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I, I, I tried to track that down. Because uh, Loyola is a Jesuit college university. Mm-hmm. But they have locations across the country, including Chicago, Maryland, and New Orleans. So there's no real way to kind of pin down where Father McKay went to school. Yeah. It seemed like to me, though, I want to say it was something related to Philadelphia. There was an episode where he knew somebody, and I want to say he mentioned something about school in Philadelphia or something in an episode. Born and raised in Philadelphia. Maybe that's what it was. I don't remember. Spence. His, most of his days on the playground before he got sent to I don't know L.A. to don't live know. with his rich uncle. Right, sure. Oh, wait, that was a fresh break. <laughs> In the opening scene, there is reference to mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Ah. CPR Bach. wasn't what... Ah. CPR was invented by Austrian surgeon Peter Safar. He didn't finish medical school until 1948 and hadn't begun teaching the technique of CPR until the late 1950s or early 60s, after the Korean War had ended. Mm, so he wouldn't have said mouth to mouth. Something like that. During the meeting at the beginning, Frank Burns asks, what, have, what would have happened in 1776 if the Minutemen on their way to Concord had stopped to worry about toilet paper? The Battle of Concord began a year earlier in 1775. Oops. <laughs> How do you expect us to fight a war without shuttlecocks? <laughs> anyway. Uh, the PA. Attention. Due to a shortage of, of oil and wood, tonight's movie will be burned at 1,800 hours. Yes. <laughs> yep. And, of course, Henry Blake's incredibly shrinking desk. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. It's like, I am talking to you from a really large void, a really huge yes, void at the very end of the episode. nothing left in his room except it's just for the him skeleton. And, yeah, he's sitting on like a, I don't know if he was sitting in his chair, if he was sitting on like a bucket or something. I think it was a bucket. And then the telephone line that just sort of works its way off off camera. <laughs> this was a good, it was just a good funny episode. It was. It was, I wouldn't call it filler. It was a little bit better than that. Again, it's but, one of those episodes where, you know, they're they're faced with or they're forced into a really bad situation and it helps them rise to the occasion. Yeah. Not a lot of infighting or anything. Yeah. So. All right. That brings us to episode number 22, George. 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 Directed by Gene Reynolds. Okay. Who directed 24 MASH episodes. Uh, he was... Born in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Arguably, 
you could say that Gene Reynolds was the guy behind the success for success story of MASH. Uh, he was assigned to uh, producing and directing the, the pilot. Uh, he went to England to headhunt writer Larry Gelbart mm-hmm. to get him onto the project. He signed Burt Metcalf. Uh, as associate producer. Yeah, Burt Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was chiefly responsible for casting Alan Alda, McLean Stevenson, and uh, Jamie Farr. Mm. And so, you know, this is the guy who basically brought MASH onto the screen. So this episode, George, aired February 16th, 1974. And a decorated GI confides in Hawk that he was beaten by his own unit for being gay. Frank finds out and tries to have the man uh, dishonorably discharged. I liked this episode, but again, it was a soft episode. The, the, the main point of the story was kind of like, it was real quick. It was like, I mean, you barely saw the character George. I think you saw him like maybe on the operating table and then when, when Hawkeye's having the conversation with him. After that, I don't think you see him again. So you only see him like twice. I don't remember if we see him specifically on the operating table. There's mention of this one's got contusions and bruises and whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's scene. There's a scene or two in the op or in the post op, and then walking around the camp. No, oh, he does have a scene with Frank where Frank's like, "Hey, you're yeah. you've got a great record here, and you're yeah. wounded lots of times. Yep, but cut down on the fighting there, son. Yeah, um, or you'd have you. I'd have you court martialed, but you know, but you're you know, for he's like you've been fighting. It's like, but you're such a good officer. You're such a good, such yeah, a good yeah. soldier or something. Yeah. So. They deal with it. It's probably one of the first times that a gay character showed up on a on a TV show in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, they deal with it. They deal with it all right. And it, but it's just another one of those episodes where they just rush through it real quick and say, "Oh yeah, okay, it's all it's all good." Uh, they stop Frank from filing the report. Filing the report, they get him to admit that he paid four hundred dollars for his uh, for the answers to his medical test to get well to get his they, medical license yeah well they you know they point out it's like okay you're going to turn around and report somebody but yet you are having an affair oh that too <laughs> yeah you know so yeah those, yeah, who, not. Live in, yeah, yeah, those yeah. who live in glass houses frank yeah but um a couple of notes here first and only appearance by richard eli who play of course played private george weston the episode opens showing a chopper landing with wounded and that was actually recycled footage from the episode cowboy because i can see that the pilot is wearing a cowboy hat ah well maybe uh, he was still flying <laughs> well you know they there was a scene when they're playing i, I th- you know father mulcahy and other other members of the 4077 are playing football mm-hmm. and at one point we see father mulcahy and he's wearing a solid gold style football helmet which was actually used by catholic university notre dame football we also see him get clobbered that he does <laughs> he catches the ball and then like 30 people jump on him yep um and finally so i put down spoiler hawkeye jokingly suggests that he'll make radar an officer to which radar happily replies gee would you of course, and later in season five, there's an episode called Lieutenant Radar O'Reilly. Hawkeye, do, Hawkeye does that very thing. Hawk mentions, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. I'd rather be in Philadelphia is a phrase from W.C. Fields, who okay. was a comedian from the 20s, 30s, vaudeville type era. He, he was in movies. Uh, he stated that it would be on his headstone. Here lies W.C. Fields. I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. And, of course, Hawkeye states, care for a glass of checkers? 
Yes. When they're playing booze checkers. Yeah, yeah. Booze. <laughs> booze. Figures you two would take a nice, wholesome game yeah, like che- checkers. Such as checkers and perverted or whatever. <laughs> yep. So, short episode. They blew through it. They got it done. Kudos for them for bringing it up even at all. But not a bad episode. No, not at all. Episode 23, Mail Call. Uh, this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Aviation. Pioneer Aviation. A pioneer in aviation. For all your aviation needs, think Pioneer Aviation. And our stock is really cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Mail Call. February 23rd, 1974. Directed by... Alan Alda. Alan Alda. Mm-hmm. One of 32. This is his directorial debut. All right. Um, mail call Mail call yields tons of goodies and baddies. Trap gets a picture and cookies from his daughter, which sends him into a depression. Hawk gets a really big knitted sweater from his sister, which I'm sure we'll mention again here in a minute. And good news for Frank Stocks. Henry gets his wife's checkbooks. Checks, checkbook to balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the episode, Henry in Love, from earlier in the season, Henry Blake is on the phone with his wife discussing her financial situation. Mm-hmm. She wants to send him her canceled check so that she can balance the checkbook. Of course, at the end of the phone call, he agrees at her, you know, to do so at her request. Mail call, Henry receives a box of canceled checks and other financial documents from his wife. This is apparently the result of the phone call from the earlier episode. Probably. And apparently took quite a while to get there. Well, it takes a while to get things anywhere. <laughs> um, let's see. In this episode, we learn that Trapper's daughters are names Kathy and Becky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have here great attempts for Clinger to get sent home. Is this the one where he's writing, he's, he's opening letters saying, my father is dying? Yes. Yes. Half the family dying, the other <laughs> half pregnant. Uh, Hawkeye stuffs his own olives. Yep, puts uh, the puts pimentos the, um, yep, in. <laughs> that's right. Question. Sure. What does Margaret see in Frank? Ferret face. Uh, his patriotism, I think, was part of it. Um, he they yeah. just they seem like a very troubled couple. But yeah, <laughs> I also see. <laughs> I also see they're both by the bookies. You know, yeah. although they stray from it from time to time, Frank is also someone that she can uh, manipulate, maybe. I think they're both using each other. I think Margaret uses Frank as in, I can tell him what to do one way or the other. Like, I can either tell him to do it, yeah. or I can tell him to mm-hmm. do it. Will you cut it out? Um, and then, of course, Frank is using her as... Well, she's a woman, and he's mm-hmm. lonely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a woman, she probably doesn't have that great a voice. You know, so every time they go in to complain about something to Henry, she's talking, but talking for Frank. And, of course, Blake, Blake is like, really, Frank? Is that how you feel? Yeah. <laughs> you know, looking at him and not looking at her. And it's like, are you going to say anything, Frank? Yeah. Just make a noise. Anything. Yes. They're going to do an autopsy on here if mm-hmm. you don't say something here. Right. Exactly. So maybe that's what they see in each other. They're both use each other. <laughs> and, of course, well, I guess they're compatible. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. What do I have here? I had a couple notes. Um, some I'm going to just call them inconsistencies because we, we, you know, it's regarding whether or not you know Hawkeye has a mother or any siblings. Supposedly he gets that sweater with the extra 
what is it? The line in the sh- the, the the sweater with the extra compartment or like, something like extra like room, or extra room or whatever or exactly something. Yeah, um, it's a big but, sweater. But then, like supposedly later on in the series, he's mentioned as not having any siblings. Yeah, I, it, when he said sister, I was like, wait. Yeah. I thought he was an only child. Um, it's also mentioned, you know, briefly mentions his mother, but in Laser's later seasons, Hawkeye, you know, supposedly an only child whose mother had died when he was young. Mm-hmm. So just some, you know, like I said, some Maybe. sort of inconsistencies. Uh, Alan Alda's first Maybe it was raised directing. by gypsies. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I thought Alan Alda played it safe, fairly safe with the shots in this episode. Nothing was... Too drastic or anything. No. I mean, he had the, the zoom in on his letter when they were trying to fool Frank into buying stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so Frank gets fooled into buying a stock. Uh, he runs into Radar's office to tell Radar to send a message to his stockbrokers. Yes. And Radar goes through this Something whole... Something Landers and Flynn. <laughs> Radar goes through this whole jibble-jabble of... Well, there's 16 hours yes. ahead of us, yes. behind us. It's yesterday and today yeah. and not tomorrow. And then when will then be now? It's almost uh, almost yeah. a Spaceballs routine. Yeah, it's, when it, will then be now? That is a now, bunch of... That's, then. <laughs> that is definitely some word salad um, that I, I would love to see if there were outtakes from that because right? try to say that correctly. But uh, So Seoul, which I, I'm, I'm assuming is close to them, or it's probably in the same time zone. Seoul is 13 hours ahead of New York City. 5 p.m. Seoul time would be 4 a.m. in New York City. Okay. So in order for Frank to call and get them New York City at 9 a.m., he would have to call at 10 p.m. Seoul time. Okay. So I think Radar was messing with him more than anything else. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he was in on the gag of the the stock buying. Uh, Frank mentions the Prescott Building. Prescott Building was built in 1937 and it is an apartment complex, not an office building. Oops. <laughs> the episode, The Chosen People, and this episode are really establishing, I think, Hawkeye and Radar's sort of big brother mentor routine. Yeah. Um, someone that... that Radar really looks up to because mm-hmm. in this he's doing a pen pal thing with a girl through comic book. Yeah. And he basically portrays himself. He catfishes her to use a modern term. Come on guys. Uh, Radar sends the, the pen pal a picture of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And of course he goes to Hawkeye and says, she wants to know what my feelings are. So what are your feelings? Because it's your picture and it's got to match your yeah. picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your feelings got to match the picture. So I was, I was watching this episode and I thought back, to the Chosen People episode where he's uh, potentially a father of a baby, but he doesn't do that, but he does do that. I don't do that, but I do that. Like, you guys do that. And then he says, I, I don't do that, and I haven't, you know. That was, yeah, that was in The Chosen People because he pretended. Yeah. yeah I was just thinking the same thing. I was, you know, as you were talking, I even I even remembered that scene because they were talking. It's like, why did you do this, Radar? Yeah. You know, he says, because I like the way it felt when everybody believed that I did. Mm-hmm. But so, I don't. And he says, you will. And I think right there, that was where the beginning was of him kind of looking up at Hawkeye. Yeah. And or looking this, up to Hawkeye. This, this did it too. And it was like, okay, because I remember there's a future episode that I was remembering. And I was like, okay, so this is kind of setting that up whether they knew it or not. Because mm-hmm. there's an episode where Hawkeye disappoints Radar. Uh, Trap. Trapper tries to go AWOL. Why, yes. Why did he try to go AWOL? Because he got the letter from oh, home the letter pictures from of home. his kids. Yep. Yeah. He, he ends that rather quickly. He's drunk. So mm-hmm. it's not really too hard to stop yep. him from doing that. But uh, a little bit of a, you know, hey, war is 
bad type mm-hmm. deal. You know, um, a little bit of depression for him. It's really more of a of a of a punchline though. Yeah. In this episode, another soft episode. Mm-hmm. There was one last note here that uh, when Radar takes down Frank's wire to send to a stockbroker, Frank hands him a U.S. currency $1 bill. Uh, Not Army script? Not Army script. Not yet. They're in between blue and reds. Yes. <laughs> okay. He, he just happened to have green. Green. <laughs> um, final episode of season two, episode 24, a smattering of intelligence. A smattering of intelligence. I love this episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, first and only appearance by Bill Fletcher as Vinnie Pratt. Vinny Pratt. Mm-hmm. Who was Vinny Pratt? He was the... Vinny uh, Pratt. Vinny Pratt. He was friends with... intelligence guy. Yeah, yeah he was friends okay. with uh, Trapper. Ah, yes. Directed by Larry Gelbart. We just mentioned him. Uh, his first of six episodes. He directed two episodes of Aftermath. Also okay. wrote 29 episodes. Uh, a clash of intelligence at the 4077th. Hawk and Trap pit them against each other. So you have two... You have two intelligent agents, mm-hmm. contradiction in terms, Yeah, <laughs> who find out each other is in the camp, one being Colonel Flagg, mm-hmm. the other being the aforementioned Pratt, mm-hmm. and they all they both think they know what the other one is there for and want to find out what the other one is there for. <laughs> okay. Uh, the return of Colonel Flagg, he was Captain Holleran. Yeah, in, Captain Howard. But yep. we all, we he's all been promoted. Know, he's been promoted now. We all know that it's Colonel Flag the entire time, if mm-hmm. even Colonel Flag is his real name. Mm-hmm. So in this in this episode, we have CID, CIA, G two, CIC, CIC, CPA. I tell them that I'm CIA, so they don't think I'm. So they think I'm CIC. Yeah, <laughs> they think I tell them I'm with the CID, so they'll think I'm with the CIC. Oh, we love this. Yeah. Um, we have. So I don't uh, have time for all this cloak and duck. Can't you just let my people go? <laughs> yes. In this episode, I noticed Henry never leaves his office. Every time they go to him, he's trying to repair a fan. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so he never leaves the office. So I guess McLean Stevenson didn't want to do any other shots. Oh, maybe. Um, G two has a file on Henry Blake showing he had an affair in June nineteen forty eight. They bugged and mic'd and, and, and cameraed yeah, the, a, a the hotel. hotel room. Yes. And he had an affair with Linda Collins, a rental car girl in Houston in 1949. Shame on you, Henry. Was having an affair really that prevalent in the 40s and 50s? And I looked it up, and it kind of seemed like it was. But okay. But it's kind of hard to get that sort of data. You go yeah. around asking merry men, have you ever had an affair? Yeah, it's like, they're, yeah, they're like, who are you? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to hear, um, yeah, second appearance by Edward Winter as Colonel Flagg. This would be the one episode where we would actually see Radar supposedly smoking a cigarette. Well, he was doing his Rita Hayworth impression. Is that what it was? Okay. <laughs> the show, and I noticed that the show opens, and again, having seen the series so many times, it just I just remembered this. The show opens with a chopper flying in as though they were bringing in wounded, yet the helicopter has no stretchers on either side of the helicopter. Mm. Yep, and it was actually footage that they had recycled from the episode The Sniper. Uh, Colonel Flagg has uh, aliases for many different people. Mm-hmm. Yep. How many can you name? Louise Klein was one of them. Mm-hmm. Captain uh, Louise Klein. Yeah, Captain Louise Klein. Um, that's the only one I remember off the top of my head. Major Brooks. Major Lieutenant Brooks. Carter. Lieutenant Carter. Ensign Troy. Okay. And, well, that's it. 
Okay. <laughs> I read them in a different order, so I didn't know where the end was. Okay. Uh, I had Hawkeye salutes Frank at the end of the episode. Well, he's having an off day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, when Colonel Flagg asks Hawkeye what his name is, he says, Dr. Wasserman. He says, I'm looking for a cure for VD, and I thought it would be a good place to start. The joke was based on the work of Dr. August von Wasserman, who developed a complement fixation test for the early diagnosis of syphilis in 1906. Fun! I want him at my party. Yeah. (laughs) Um, In the episode, we learn what Colonel Flagg's first name is. Sam. Sam. Yes. Which brought to me thoughts of the Looney Tunes cartoon with Sam the dog and Uh, Foghorn Leghorn, where they're sheep. Yes. Sheep Morning, pro- Ralph. Sheep protectors. Morning, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's because like, he says, Pratt asks him, he says, buy you a cup of coffee, Sam? And Colonel Flagg is like, why not? Why not? Um, Hawk mentions that they're going to make Frank the 49th state due to his patriotism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were 48 states in the U.S. until 1959 when Alaska and Hawaii both joined in the year. Correct. And I had a goof here. When Flag smashes his cast with the X-ray machine, as he pulls it pulls it down, he hits the cast, but you briefly see it bounce back up. Mm. But the cast is crushed in the next shot, which mm. of course, when watched in slow motion, so you would have to you would have to go frame by frame to see it. <laughs> to the Far East Export Import Comp- Company, twenty seven yes. Zapata Circle, Tijuana, Mexico. Tijuana, Mexico. Yes. Mary had a little lamb. Stop. My dog has fleas. Stop. Stop. Mersey dotes and dozy dotes. Stop. Stop. And I'll, I'll be, be home, home for Christmas. Christmas. Stop. Signed, Find your loving son, Queen Victoria. Yes. I think once you said that, you said it all. It's like, well, apparently your dog has fleas. He knows I'm here. He knows I'm here. Yep. I didn't know that. I'm Mary. I'm Mary. <laughs> uh, this episode ends the season with another roll call. As yes. in a roll call, as in previous episodes, mm-hmm. uh, this time Colonel Flagg doing it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just saying, hey, these are the people who are here. We should pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're, they're worth further investigation. So that's the last season of season two. The last episode of season two? Yes, the last, that too. <laughs> uh, final thoughts on season two of MASH. I thought this season was funnier than the first season yeah i thought the writing improved the 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 it seemed more uh cohesive um this season didn't seem to really have any serious episodes there were no sometimes you hear the bullet moments there were i think potentials for that but i think everything seemed to be uh, softened like uh the aforementioned uh loss of of trapper's patient that we never see he doesn't get, they, they they don't get a name or anything and it's everything was kind of breezed through uh i didn't think there were any real serious you know war is hell moments there wasn't any uh like in season one where they do the uh, the yankee doodle doctor and they make the fake film to give to the general saying hey how how good are mash units and the entire time he's you know mark's brothering it up until he gets to the end and then says there's nothing really funny about war and has that whole speech right i think that was lost this season i didn't really see any of that this season i mean they did say they wanted the you know that the show was first and foremost a comedy yeah 
but no interjections at all, really, of it. Or if it was, it was kind of treated with kid hands. I think maybe they were still trying to... Find their footing? Yeah. So. Um, I also found in this season, Radar got more into his mousy character where mm-hmm. he's sort of less of one of the guys hey yeah, and more like oh my I'm a virgin. Yeah. maybe i don't know um yeah his gee whiz golly personality mm-hmm. um i think i think maybe trap trapper kind of faded more into the background in this season he had a a, a few moments but i think you saw him less yeah uh he had potential moments and and they just like everything else in this season, they kind of kid gloved it. They kind of just soft it and didn't really go too far into it, especially compared to later episodes or even episodes from season one. I think his character really could have shined in episodes like Kim with yeah. with the, the being able to adopt the child. Uh, maybe not necessarily actually getting to do it. I don't know if that would have really done anything, but... Um, I don't know. Just it, every every episode seemed like they had something, but they didn't. There could have been a little more to it. I think they just left it soft. I think they maybe they went more for the comedy, and put slight reminders of hey, we're also talking about war and not beat it over the head like they did in, in some episodes of the previous mm-hmm. season. Um, but again, thought it was funnier. I yes. en- I enjoyed it more. But missed, more, more hijinks. I missed the things that I thought were missing. And well, they'll make up for it in the last episode of season three. <laughs> so they'll make up we'll for it. We'll have to get to that. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so concur. Am I crazy? Am, no. No. You think no, so? No. I, I think no. It, I mean, season one. I mean, they they said that you know the, the the ratings were dismal. They didn't know. That's why they had to record to, or they had to do a script for two different endings. Of episode or the final episode of season one because they didn't know whether they're going to get picked up by another you know the showgirls episode showtime (laughs) uh at any rate um for jokes see episode one of the mash files yes (laughs) um you know so they 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 were still trying to find their footing i'm sure that you know they were still trying to gather research Mm -hmm. to try to come up with ideas for episodes i mean i'm sure there were probably some episodes that maybe probably had nothing to do with Korea or the war specifically. It was just some situation that happened at, like, you know, uh, the Long John Flap. You know, it's just, it had really nothing to do about war. It was just, we had this pair of Long Johns and it was cold outside and everybody wanted them. Right. Um, but they may were still, they were still trying to work on research, trying to come up with ideas for future episodes. So, it, you know, still Maybe. trying to find their footing. But then season two, they started really getting into things and now they're starting to find their footing. They're, you know, they're finding all kinds of new research, talking to people. All that fun stuff. So, yeah. Good season. Yeah. A little soft. Probably maybe they got scared because of the uh, ratings of the first season and said, ooh, maybe we took it too far. Let's let's try it. Let's, 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 you know, let's pull it pull back it. a bit. Because yeah. and, and, I think really, I think you really need to have an audience in place that trusts you in order to kind of go off more in those dark areas. Mm-hmm. So maybe, yeah, once they kind of got their audience and said, okay, here's what you can expect from us. We know what you expect from us. And once they got their audience, they could go further into the dark areas. I was reading an article before we started recording about the laugh track. So when they showed the show in the UK, there's no laugh okay, track. They, oh, they subtract the... Yeah. They just remove which it. Which okay. is the way 
which is the way that the producers wanted it. Larry Gilbert wanted it that way. And the studio said, no, you have to have a laugh track. And they compromised by saying, okay, laugh track, but no laugh track in the OR. And the studio was like, okay. But even in later seasons, there are, like, I think it's, I think the article said season six on, there are fewer and fewer episodes with a laugh track at all. Mm. But they said it was, you know, it's a controversial discussion or, or a thought about whether or not to have the laugh track there. And of course, I grew up with the laugh track being there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, when I was looking for clips on YouTube, I, all the clips I found must have been, I thought it was weird because none of the clips had the laugh track. And now I know, okay, they must have been from the UK. Could be. And because I'm used to the laugh track, when it's not there, it's like, what the hell's that? that yeah, you're it just, actually... It seems off. It's yeah. like, wait, there's something missing. It's the laugh track. What, what? Huh? The article basically stated that the UK version of MASH is better because there's no laugh track. Do you think that the laugh track, and it might be hard for us to even fathom it, but you think the laugh track really made that big of a difference? I don't, I think it's too hard for us to tell because we've always had it. Um, When it's not there, it just seems weird. (laughs) I wonder if, even though they said they wanted the show first and foremost to be a comedy. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the laugh track maybe sort of kept the show's feet on the ground. Maybe. It it sort of even, you know, even when dealing with serious, you know, subjects, topics, having that laugh track at certain points sort of a brings people yeah, to a it place just, like okay, the sadness is over, you can laugh now. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, something like that, but it helps just, you know, bring people back, you know, to maybe a comfort zone. Maybe. Yeah. So that's a a good question. Maybe. The article was interesting. I was like, I don't know. That's weird. I I will say this. It is kind of nice that, you know, because I have the the DVD set. The DVDs, you can actually go in like you can do with subtitles. You can also turn off the laugh track. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. And I mentioned in the previous podcast that uh, there have been a couple of times where the laugh track, I can't hear what the actor is saying. The dialogue is kind of muffled because of the laugh track. So it's like, you know, there are times when it's like, okay, I want to go back. I'm going to watch this episode again without the laugh track to hear what they said. That's true. Because. Or I could turn the subtitles on, but still. They're not filming in front of a studio audience. They are not. So, you know, when, when whoever's putting it in there thinks this is funny and they're choosing their, the the length of the laugh, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's a one, you know, that's, that's a, that's a two second laugh. That's a, well, that's a real big laugh, you know, and. The actors don't know of a laugh, Mm-mm. so they're just going to keep on going, and they got to kind of fit it in there. So yeah, you might even lose. Yeah, well, I I'm wondering see that being jumped I... upon. You know that Larry Gilbert hates the laugh track. Okay, or did is he still alive? I'm not sure. Mm. He hated it. Okay, or, you know, and so he never wanted it in there at all. Um, and he, they have a video of him talking about how much he hates it. And oh what, wow! And how and maybe how they put it in. It was either him or they read. I read it that okay. it said yeah. They actually went in and said, okay, that's this length of a laugh. That's this one, you know, Okay. in a studio. Which wow. would have been better if they had actually put it in front of people. I think it would have been I more genuine. Yeah, that would have been nice. But, but um, you know, like anything else, it's time, it's money. You true, know. yeah. But we have no laugh track, so insert laugh here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Anyway, again, you can reach us. Um, if you like what we're doing, you don't like what we're doing, you have ideas for a future episode, we're open to suggestions. Send us an email to mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or go to www.themashfiles.com. 
gmail.com. That is uh, episode two of The Mash Files. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. I am Seabus Brian. He is Seabus John. John. Yep. And we hope to see you, so to speak, on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you.